Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. And thankfully, yes, everybody out there listening, you have made it through four solo podcasts of mine in a row. If you're listening to this now, I was literally flying by the seat of my own pants for the 2020, 2019, 2018, and 2017 revisits in which I went back and I ranked those draft class prospects into tiers, given all the information that we know now about them over the course of the last few years. So if you haven't heard any of those podcasts, absolutely go and check those podcasts out. But I'm done doing the solo pods for a while. Thankfully, for, for all my listeners out there, you probably got tired of just hearing my voice. We finally get to chop it up with a few guests here. And what better way to kick off NBA preview content than with my boys over at the Overstated NBA Show, who there will be a lot more collaboration with this year than ever before. We don't have Steve with us. Steve is almost never here for any of these podcasts, but we also record it off hours because we got to try to cram in as much content with some of these guys as possible. But we do have Brett Usher and Jacob Birkenshaw back with us. Brett, I'll start with you. How, how are you doing, my friend? How is your day going? Are you ready for the NBA season as much as I am? I am so ready. Uh, just having media day yesterday and having training camp kick off. I mean, I, I, I've got so much excitement for this coming season. Uh, it's a pretty quick turnaround from last season, too. So we've kind of got some momentum going. And, uh, yeah, we're going to keep it rolling. But it's great to be back on with you, man. It's been uh, been too long since, since I've been on this podcast. So uh, it's always a pleasure and really looking forward to this one. Jacob, are you fully prepared for your numbers deep dives this year? <laughs> are you, have you done all the prep work? Are you ready to go? I am. I am ready to go for quite a few different um, projects I've been working on. Yeah, the, the season's kind of caught, crept up on me, honestly. I'm like, shit, listen, <laughs> am I going to be able to cram all this stuff in? And then the season starts and then it's just going to be, yeah, you're just flying by, just trying to um, make content, trying to get as much out there as possible. We'll see. We'll see. It's going to be, it's, it's a busy schedule. It's, it's, the, the NBA is always jam-packed, and I never understand how I'm able to balance watching NBA games and, and all of the college games and some of the international games. Everything that I have to balance and watch, and one, I, I, I'm, I'm amazed at how I do it every single freaking year because it's, it's hard enough keeping up with one of them. But with that being said, we're going to hop right into, I guess, technically part one out of three of the NBA preview content that I'm going to be doing here on the podcast feed. So we're going to start today with the Eastern conference. This is same thing that we did last year, except a new spin on it. So one thing I invented last year that I thought did really well was coming up with 30 questions for all 30 NBA teams. So one question per team, we're going to split it up Eastern conference on this podcast. And then we're going to have part two be for the Western conference. But last year, I came up with literally all 30 questions and we kind of just had a round table discussion. I brought these guys in, we answered them and we gave our thoughts overall on expectations that we have for each NBA team doing it a little different, throwing a new wrinkle in there. We each have a division per conference that we essentially gave each other, gave ourselves five teams that we came up questions with. And I think that that's going to be a much more fun way to do this. 
because not everything, not every question is going to be specifically from my perspective only. I know Brett has a lot of different NBA takes at, at different points throughout the season that I have and, and Jacob and, and vice versa. So I think it's going to be really interesting to mix our personalities and our, our interests with these teams and a little bit into the questions. So Brett has the Atlantic division. Jacob has the Central Division, and then I took the the Southeast Division. So we're going to start in the Atlantic. Brett, I don't know what order specifically you have your questions in for the teams, but it's whatever order we're going to tackle this, whatever order you guys have the questions in. So we'll start out with the Atlantic. Brett, who is the first team that we're going to be talking about, and, and what is your question? Let's go with the Boston Celtics to kick things off here. Uh, that is my original home team, uh, being from the area, born and raised. And my question is going to be, can Jason Tatum be an MVP candidate? Hmm. In- interesting question. So that would require, A, the Celtics having one of the top records in the Eastern Conference, and B, Jason Tatum taking a slight jump from where he was at last year, about like 264 points per game but have really good shooting splits jacob what do you think about that you think jason tatum could be an mvp candidate uh, uh, i do think he can but that's that's in the same way that chris paul ended up an mvp candidate this year you know like some guys that we don't really consider as the very best players end up in those candidates so yeah i totally see it being a possibility that jason tatum does if the celtics are you know if they're the second seed the third seed and it's you know quite clear that Tatum's the driving force behind that certainly offensively at least because this team should be pretty good defensively so that bodes well for them they really need the Jays to kind of take the next step for them offensively I yeah I think he can but I also I don't really see him winning it just because of how entrenched like if Kevin Durant has a great season that's a narrative people will latch on to if Giannis comes storming back you know if Jokic plays even better next season then the argument is well we gave it to him when he played worse do we give it to him now you know like I think there are a lot of stronger candidates but I do think Tatum should be considered as you know a potential MVP candidate so there may be stronger candidates by resume going back to last season. However, one thing that Jason Tatum could have in his favor, and I'll be curious to get Brett's answer on this considering he crafted the question, but Jason Tatum could have a narrative side to winning this award. And narrative is always one of the most important factors when we talk about media voting for the MVP award, along with all of the other awards, of course, that they vote for throughout the NBA season. But I don't expect the Boston Celtics to be one of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference, at least right off the bat. Maybe not even a top four team in the Eastern Conference. When you factor in Milwaukee and Brooklyn obviously being near the top, I would imagine that Miami is a much improved team this year with some of the additions that they made. Um, And then you really get into the thick of what's going to happen. What's going to happen with the Philadelphia 76ers? Um, what's going to happen? Do the Toronto Raptors maybe sneak back up? Do they make a little bit of noise? Chicago making all the additions that they did. What, where do they finish in the Eastern Conference? Obviously, Atlanta made a really strong push last year. Does Charlotte get a little bit better? Does Washington even sneak up in, into some of this? So the, the Eastern Conference, the point I'm trying to make is some of those teams, I don't think will have better records than Boston, but there could be some surprises because all of these good teams are just going at each other all year long and you might expect Boston 
to, to pick up a few more losses than you might have initially thought. So the competition in the East, I think, is going to be better than it's been over the last four or five seasons. So, again, if Jason Tatum helps Boston outperform initial expectations and the Celtics do have like a top three seed in the East and Tatum's averaging like 29 to 30 points per game on really good shooting splits. He's maintaining or even improving upon the defensive impact that he's had for that team. I said in, in the tears podcast for 2017 that, that I released, I, I think that Tatum is one of the most underrated two-way wings we have in the entire NBA period. So I do think there is a little bit of a narrative there where, where he could push on that and potentially win the award. So, Brett, where do you see Boston finishing in, in the Eastern Conference? What's your rough picture for that look like right now? I'm pretty high on Boston. I've always kind of said they could, you know, maybe top three, top four team in the East. Uh, I mean, this is the thing, though, with the Tatum MVP case, and you kind of touched on it. Like, the fact that they were a 500 team last season, which was obviously very disappointing, sort of puts them in a prime position to exceed expectations and to tie in with what you said about a narrative MVP obviously that would go a long way if they far exceeded expectations because I think expectations are, are fairly low still based on last season even with some of the uh, the, the good moves that they've made uh, and then yeah like the thing about Tatum I mean I think we can all probably agree on this like like he's primed for a jump okay but this is a guy that averaged 26 7 and 4 last season on pretty efficient shooting. I think above league average true shooting for sure. So like, what does that jump look like for Jason Tatum? I mean, that I think that vaults him into the MVP conversation as long as the Celtics are decent or, you know, say like a top 10 player for sure. Uh, if he makes any kind of significant jump, which seems to be the expectation. Uh, it's almost like people were kind of said he had a down year and it's like, man, for like a, you know, age 22, 23 season to put up those kind of numbers is, it's pretty insane. So I think like the things working in his favor as far as a potential MVP case would be Boston far exceeding expectations and him making a jump. And if he makes a jump, all of a sudden he's, I mean, maybe even like a top eight player. Cause it's like, yeah, what are we talking about then? 29, you know, 29, eight and five or something like that. So yeah, and I think I am higher on the Celtics than most people uh, for a number of reasons um, that, that we can definitely get into. But uh, you know, I think he can be an MVP candidate. Maybe I should have spec uh, specified when I when I asked the question, but I I would consider that like a top five, like a legit top five guy for MVP voting. Somebody who gets some votes, somebody who's in the top five. Like that's probably how I would define an MVP candidate. Um, so I think he can be in that conversation. So I guess, and I do want to get into the Celtics a little bit, Brett. So I guess my main question. So. If the Boston Celtics are going to outperform expectations and Jason Tatum does have three, means that he needs to have the right pieces around him within the lineup, particularly in the starting lineup. When you talk about starting out games and then ultimately closing games, that lineup's probably going to be the same. But what does that what does that lineup actually look like? So if you just go on like like an ESPN.com, for example, they're gonna roughly mock the starting lineup as Schroeder, Smart, Brown, Tatum, and Horford. Is is that the best? starting and, and closing lineup for for Boston like is Josh Richardson definitely a good option to have off the bench could he maybe work himself into the starting lineup does my my I guess my bigger question would be at the center spot I don't know if Al Horford is who you want starting at the center position he's the veteran he probably has reign over that starting spot when you when you factor in the locker room perspective but is Robert Williams the third 
poised for a very strong breakout season. I think all of us would agree that he is definitely a breakout candidate and, and certainly by advanced metrics, a lot of the synergy profiles in, in, in a more limited role, he actually had a, a terrific year last year. So what, Brad, what is your starting lineup for, for Boston look like? Is it, is it kind of what it's mocked out to be right now? Or do you have any other ideas for that starting unit? No, I don't think I would. I don't really see Schroeder or Horford starting for this team. I think it's going to be Marcus Smart at point guard. I think Josh Richardson makes sense at the two. Then you have Jalen and Jason. And then I think Time Lord's going to be the starting center. Uh, I mean, that, that could go either way between him and Horford. I think there's arguments for both in that role. But just when you consider the trajectories that they're on, um, you ask the question, how much does Horford have left to give? I think he's going to be a valuable addition uh, to this team, but I'm not sure he's a guy you want playing starters minutes or even being in that that starting role because I do think the Time Lord makes a little bit more sense with the rest of this lineup and sort of the identity that I see them as trying to establish this season. I think those defensive bookends of Marcus Smart and Robert Williams in that starting lineup pretty much ensure that they're going to have one of the better defenses in the league. Obviously, the Jays can play some defense and, and Josh Richardson can too, at least in theory. So I, I think that's going to be their identity. Obviously, they're going to have some, some potent offensive weapons um, as they have the past few seasons. But I think defense is going to be their real calling card. And I think you're going to see Marcus Smart and the Time Lord in the starting lineup. Um, that would align with that at least. Jacob, you're you're the numbers guy, and I know for a fact that Al Horford had a horrific year last year, at least in my opinion, compared to what we've really known, and that, that kind of goes back a little bit to him not mixing in and fitting properly in Philadelphia as well. I don't know if he can reclaim what he once was in Boston um, for to, to hang on to a starting role this year. What do you think the starting lineup should be for the Celtics, Jacob? Um, I would probably slide similarly to Brett like I could see I could see a world where Al Horford nominally starts at the four with Robert Williams at the five but I'm not sure because we do see this quite a lot I think with you know these older players that get marginalized on poorer teams we see them in a good system in a you know a good role on a good team we do see them have a bit of a bounce back it's rarely to the level they were before but that's why they're kind of their old veterans now. They're way past their prime like Al Horford is, but can still probably provide some good value. I wouldn't be shocked if he started at the four, but I would probably, like Brett said, slide Marcus Smart to the one, Josh Richardson into the starting lineup at the two, keep the Jays the same, and then start Time Lord at the five. I do think there's there's a lot of defense there, and I... I think it's kind of similarly built to what we see with some teams that we have, you know, we kind of, we forego that deep, that offensive skill set by having these do it all wings. And Robert Williams is quite a good passer of the ball as well. And Marcus Smart is as well. He's quite a good playmaker for how limited he is offensively. And obviously Jason Tatum, we hope has this kind of playmaking growth still to come. And Jalen Brown took some quite good jumps in that department last season. I know you've been, quite high on Jalen Brown's kind of creation ability in the past. I've I've been less so, but he's definitely impressed me. And if they kind of more run point guard by committee almost, or, you know, playmaking duties by committee, I do think that starting lineup is good enough to take this team. Honestly, in the, in the regular season, I think they could easily be a 
top four seed. I think they could be a top three seed in the regular season. Because I don't think teams like Miami are going to try as hard. They're a bit older. You know, I, I could see them easily just being like, yeah, we're fine in the fourth or the fifth seed, just sliding in to, you know, play Atlanta in the first round. We think we got their number. I, I, I see a team like Boston being more desperate to make a jump again after a disappointing last season. I guess my last question would be, does this team have enough shooting as constructed? Because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have that market cornered. Marcus Smart has always been a questionable three-point shooter. Same (laughs) in a lot of respects with Dennis Schroeder. Josh Richardson's three-point shot, ever since he left Miami, has fallen off of a cliff. Um, You're really putting a lot of scoring responsibility, at least in, in terms of perimeter shooting, on the shoulders of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and then Peyton Pritchard. Is is Neesmith going to be a much more consistent part of the rotation this year? Can he make a jump? Can Romeo Langford make a jump from the wing spot as well off the bench, add a little more shooting? Do any of the other big men offer the ability to stretch the floor? Brett, do you think this team has enough shooting as constructed enough offense to properly complement the defense and really bring that two-way value to what you would expect from a top three or top four team in the conference. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, I think we could see a tiny bit of regression from Jalen. He ended up being about a 40% three-point shooter last season, which is obviously great, but I know he was red hot uh, to start the season, sort of in the first half of the season, and then he kind of fell off. Uh, and it ended up being still close to 40%. But I could see a little bit of regression from him. I'm not, I'm not quite sold on him as like an elite shooter yet at this point. Uh, but at the same time, I could see Jason Tatum taking a little bit of a jump and maybe getting in above 40% because we all know uh, about the degree of difficulty uh, of, of a lot of the shots he was shooting last season. And I think he still finished about 38, 39% on threes on a pretty high volume. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him get above 40%. So I think that sort of evens out to last year. Um, one thing that I wouldn't underestimate is Al, Al, Al Horford, excuse me, I can't talk right now, and his ability to, to stretch the floor from the five spot. Um, he shot about 37% from three last season. So while his game is definitely declining, he can't do everything that he used to be able to do. He's still a very legitimate floor spacer from the center position. And I think that's going to add a lot of value to this team. Uh, beyond that, you're looking at Aaron Neesmith and it's like, you know, how much can he offer? He's looked, he looked great in summer league. I, all indications are that he's going to have a pretty big role this season And obviously, three-point shooting is his specialty, and that's kind of what this team has needed for the longest time, it feels like. So it's I think he's going to get there eventually where he's a high-level contributor as a three-point specialist. That can do a little bit else, too, but it's just a question of whether or not he gets there this season in his second season. Uh, And that's just hard to answer. So that's sort of a wild card, I think, for this team where if he can step in and really provide some spacing, uh, that, that could be a legitimate boost for this team and their outlook. Um, and then, uh, but, but yeah, I think, I think you always need more shooting unless you're, you know, maybe a team like the Jazz or something. Uh, you know, you, you, you can always use more shooting. So, so that's the case with this team. Do they have enough? Um, I, I'd like to think so, but it's, it's kind of close. It, it really does feel like it could go either way in that respect. Jacob, any parting thoughts on the Boston Celtics offensive construction before we move on to the next team? No, I think Brett hit on everything. I mean, everyone wants more shooting. That's that's <laughs> that's a given at this point. But 
Yeah, I think yeah, they could have struggles, but I do see them pulling out. I mean, the the head coach is still he's he's got a lot of kind of goodwill, but is still an unknown in this role. So that's another X factor that we we just don't know how it's going how he's going to run. A lot of Spurs experience with uh, with Ime Udoka though. He spent a long time under Greg Popovich, and then he was also with Philadelphia and then the Nets. So I can't believe he hasn't been a head coach before now. Like I can't believe it's yeah. taken this long was, for him to get he was that as job. O- as overdue as as just about anybody, and and I mean I think he's gonna really really do a great job in that role. I love that hire. All right, Brett, who's the second team on the list today for the Atlantic Division? All right, well we might as well just get it out of the way, Nathan. Oh Jesus! All right, all right. <laughs> we'll go to uh, to Boston's rival here, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. Yes. What question could you possibly have for them? I I wasn't sure how to frame this one. I almost want just like my question to be Ben Simmons. Um, But let me put it this way, and we can we can go from there. Who will be their starting point guard on opening night? Uh, Uh, that's a great question because you know what? the The obvious answer to many would be Tyrese Maxey, but if the Seventy Sixers somehow pull off a trade before opening night. If they could somehow pull off the trade that I've wanted for months now, the answer to that question would be CJ McCollum. Ooh. But mm-hmm. I'll I'll say Tyrese Maxey to be safe and cover my own ass, and I think that he does deserve the starting job, especially with what he showed in summer league before before he left to go coach at camp. He was quite literally torching everybody at summer league we've already seen him drop 30 plus points in the nba in his rookie year i think that he's more than ready to take over starting point guard responsibilities especially when you factor in how much of the offense actually revolves around joel Embiid. they'll give it to him a lot in the post they'll have him pass out of double teams they'll let him kind of get involved in different dribble handoff actions with some of the other guards so it's not like the 76ers are running this traditional heavy pick and roll offense to where there's a ton of playmaking responsibility on Maxi's shoulders more times than not when he has the ball in his hands. He's actually going to be asked to score, not necessarily always set somebody else up. So I think just given the construction of the team, the type of offense that this team has run for years, I think it's actually prime to have a younger guy like Maxi be able to step in and assume some of those responsibilities. But if if they do make a trade and Ben Simmons is moved for what would likely be another guard, I'll say. If he's moved, I think that Portland or Minnesota are the two teams that I think would be the most likely to make the deal for him at this point, which would mean C.J. McCollum um, or D'Angelo Russell would probably be the other two guys I'll, I'll throw out there. But, Jacob, what, what, what do you think about the situation with Ben Simmons, and do you think he's going to be moved and just – yeah, just 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 take it take it away. I'm I'm done talk. I'm done talking about Ben Simmons. I'm so tired of it. <laughs> yeah, I have I have so little to add to this conversation that hasn't already been said so many times. I mean, we know who the main trade candidates are. We know how ridiculous this relationship gets. It gets more ridiculous, I think, by the day. Like how much we kind of we're hearing about. You know, Doc saying, "Yeah, you know, we would be a." be a great team with Ben. I'm sure we can play again. After after everything that's happened, I just I then Daryl Morey. Like I'm trying to do the calculus in my head right now and I just, I just I'm just coming up with a blank on what they I think could we're possibly all, do. We're all exhausted, I think, about the, the Ben yeah. Simmons conversation. It's like 
it's just yeah. been talked about so much you know for the last especially the last couple of weeks and it's like i think part of that is because it is kind of an unprecedented situation like just this aggressive of a holdout like i don't know that we've really seen something quite like this when you talk about a 25 year old three-time all-star that makes that much money with this much time remaining on his contract mm -hmm. like we we haven't seen it before so i understand why it's compelling and why it's been talked about so much and it's like uh so i mean assuming that you know they don't trade him for a point guard before the season starts and or someone who can play point guard like cj um it comes down to tyrese maxi and shake milton and i almost like shake better as the starter just in his sort of his combination of, of shooting ability and playmaking making ability and also length obviously i like him as a fit there as a starting point guard it's not ideal but i think if it came down to him and maxi i would actually go shake uh i mean they're, they're gonna trade simmons it's just a matter of does it happen before the season starts or does it happen maybe in december after the December 15th deadline for players that were acquired this past offseason uh, to be dealt. Uh, but it's going to happen eventually. And, and I mean, it's, I'm glad you brought up Portland right off the bat because I'm with you, man. And it's funny because you're a, you're a Philly guy and I'm a Portland guy and we both want this trade to happen. We want, we want the same trade to happen. <laughs> we do, I think we, we both recognize that, they, like, Brett, you know, like Dame's not going anywhere. I don't care no. how many times they say it in the media, they're trying to encourage him to leave and go chase a title. Like, Dame's, uh, not, like, yeah. Dame's not leaving. He's just not. Like, uh, he, he's not leaving. I don't think Brad Beal is, is leaving either. And even if Brad Beal would want out of Washington, I don't think Philly has the package to be able to go get him. Like Dame's a little bit of a different story if he did technically want out, because I think Dame would really only go to Philly or the Knicks at this point. But I think Washington would be in a much different position where they're, they're trying to look for the best package to build out the future of that team. I think Portland would much more owe it to Dame to do right by him and kind of send him to where he wants to go. I don't know if Washington would quite operate in that same exact way to the point where they'd be willing to accept a lesser package like Portland might kind of have to at some point if Dame does ask out. But yeah, yeah. You, you and I want the same damn trade to happen, Brett, and I've been screaming about it for months. <laughs> no, I, I have too, and no disrespect to CJ. He is a phenomenal player. It's just, you know, I mean, I think we can all agree it's not a, a perfect fit with Dame. They're always going to struggle defensively as long as that backcourt is constructed the way it is. And it's like, and man, yeah, Dame is just, it's too much for Simmons at this point. Like that's, you don't need to give up that much to get Ben Simmons. I think CJ might be the best Philly can do. We'll see what other offers come in. Not that that offers happened, but 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 assuming it did come in along with some others, I think it would win out. And you're going to have a hard time doing better than C.J. McCollum for Ben Simmons. And look, just from Ben's perspective, if I'm Ben and and, and his agent and Clutch, you know, and his people, like I want to go to Portland because, look, first of all, it's a smaller market, but at the same time, you're kind of the only show in town there. I mean, there's the MLS team, the Timbers, but there's no baseball team, there's no football team, there's no hockey team, like. You know, the Blazers are everything in Portland. I lived there for eight years. Take it from me. It, it's a big deal. The fans love you. It's, it's a fun place to play. Players do seem to enjoy it. I think that's part of the reason why Dame has stuck around so long. And then also, I hate to always, like, tie in Draymond with Ben Simmons, but if you think about what made Draymond so valuable and so and still does um, and, and so revolutionary, really, as, as a short-roll playmaker, it's like, of course, it's his quick decision-making and his passing ability you know, but also it's Steph and what Steph does and Steph's insane shooting ability. Um, and you put Ben Simmons 
with Damian Lillard in a similar situation, I think they could have a similar effect. Um, I just think that pairing would be lights out uh, in that same sense that Steph and Draymond were and may still be, we'll see this season. But uh, if I'm Ben Simmons, you know, I'm all for going to Portland. If I'm the Blazers, I want him. If I'm Philly, I want McCollum. It all makes sense. Let's make it happen. The <laughs> one team that was reported who's now apparently in the sweepstakes besides, so Sacramento, Minnesota, Portland, Golden State have kind of been the four all along that have been the most rumored or have reported interest. The one that popped up this week that I cannot wrap my head around it for the life of me of how it would even fucking happen is Denver. How, how, how does Denver even get involved? Why would they even want to get involved? I don't even know what a package looks like. Like, like, Jacob, yeah. what, what were your thoughts when, when you heard that? Like, what even that? went through your head? I was, yeah, this is going through my head now. The first time I, my thought is like you hadn't you hadn't heard this. I had not heard this. Yeah, I'm like, is is Philly so what they get Jamal? They can't get Jamal Murray. That's just punting on a year with Joel Embiid. Like in his prime, you can't do that to you know a top ten superstar in the league. That's what do they take Michael Porter Jr. Did Denver give up Michael Porter Jr. for N. Simmons? I don't. I don't know. Well, so I believe Porter Jr. just signed his fancy five-year, $207 million contract, if I'm correct. I think he just got yes. extended. So he would probably be the centerpiece of the deal along with um, so maybe like Jamichael Green or somebody like that, another like $8 million to throw in there and kind of make the money work with Ben's contract. But like Ugh. if you're Denver, why do you do that? Like you're going to give up your 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 one of your best perimeter shooters to throw in Ben Simmons, you're going to have what Jokic, Ben Simmons, Aaron Gordon, and like players X and Y who can maybe shoot until Jamal Murray comes back. Like that makes absolutely no sense for, for the Denver Nuggets. Like I don't even know how they got in the conversation. It would have to be Murray. I mean, I think that's the only way that I can see it happening just between the money and and the fit and everything. I, I don't think they would ever do MPJ for, for Simmons. And I think the only reason that maybe they'd consider doing Murray is because he's injured and because they think that could cost them a chance to win a title this year. And, and if they could get a guy like Simmons, I think it's, I don't want to say it's, I don't know, maybe arguably a better fit in that starting five, maybe uh, assuming MPJ takes the jump. I think we all expect him to take to where he's like a bona fide star. Maybe then you're getting enough shooting and offense out of MPJ and Jokic and some of the other guys to where Ben makes a lot of sense as a fit and then also he you know he puts you probably at the top of the western conference for for this season or you know up in that top three anyway for sure you get a good seed you go from there i don't see it happening i don't really jacob you made a great point like you don't want to punt a year in joel Embiid's prime considering his durability issues uh and that he's not super young anymore you don't want to just give up on a year and that is essentially what you'd be i think they are going to be giving up on a year though brett if they're actually willing to let this sit and they don't trade Ben Simmons and they're willing to let him sit out and they don't get any kind of package back for him. And, and they literally just have that portion of their team just sitting on the sides or getting no other contributions. Like they are punting the year. They just are. Yeah. 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 No, I essentially they are. I and mean, they, they've got to, and that's why I think they're, you know, uh, I read that they're, you know, they've, there's been offers, but it's mostly draft picks and young players and things like that. Like they really, they want a guy that can help them be better now. And, um, yeah, that's why the Murray thing, you know, or the Denver thing, period, doesn't really make sense. Because, like, yeah, you get Murray from Denver. It's like maybe he's back by March or April, maybe in time for a playoff run. And ultimately, yeah, I do like that fit with Embiid. 
uh, I can see why it would appeal to them, but yeah, that one, that one always, that, that felt a little unrealistic. I think, I think Minnesota or Sacramento or even Portland would be much more likely as far as the destination for Simmons. Jacob, if you're, if you're sitting in your chair and putting on your Daryl Morey hat and, and by putting on your Daryl Morey hat, I mean, Daryl Morey probably like three months from now when he realized the writing's on the wall and he has to get a little bit more realistic for what he's actually <laughs> asking back. What, what, what package out there that that's been rumored or reported? Like, what what realistic package out there with would you want to trade Ben Simmons for right now? The thing is, like, I think Ben Simmons is still a player with a huge amount of positive value. The issue is that, I mean, and we know this. We're just we're not too great at kind of understanding it. That Ben Simmons has a lot of value in specific scenarios. So whenever you're trading for him or whenever, you know, you're thinking of building a team involving Ben Simmons, we know that, you know, in these specific scenarios, he has really high value, high value, high impact on the game. And then in these other scenarios, you know, he can really get picked on. So I'm trying to, I'm still probably trying to get quite high value for him. Like if I'm doing it for CJ McCollum, I want CJ McCollum. I'm trying to wrangle picks out of this. If you can throw in like just just a guy, just throw in like Nazir Little, just a young punt. But for me, like I'm still trying to get more out of that. Uh, I wouldn't take D'Lo. I'm not high on D'Lo. Not compared to like if McCollum's on the table or D'Lo's on the table, I'm taking McCollum every day. If they can get someone like Jamal Murray, who I see it as more of like an upside play, like Michael Porter Jr. I don't know, maybe, but. If those are the deals that are on the table, I'm probably, I'm probably okay with that overall, but it's still quite limiting, I think. But you know, Philly are in quite a limited situation. They literally, under like Elton Brand, they traded their entire asset base for this run at the title in 2019, and now we're kind of here post-run, post-process at this point because nothing's left from the process apart from the superstars you have you're just going for it now you're in this kind of stasis as like a contender you have to make contender moves everyone knows that <laughs> so i think the two most realistic packages on the table um other than portland apparently i don't know there, there's conflicting reports regarding the portland package actually being on the table i don't always trust Stephen a smith's reporting but he said on first take that apparently conversations have been had behind the scenes on the specific CJ McCollum and Robert Covington package. To me, it's, it's Minnesota, but the Minnesota package would not be D'Lo. It would be um, Malik Beasley, I think Torian Prince, and then you would have to throw in another contract and then obviously like a picker and oh, and then Jane McDaniel. So you'd have those three players and maybe like a pick or two for Ben Simmons. I think that would realistically be on the table. With Minnesota, I think given pressure by impending new ownership that, especially given everything that happened with Mr. Gerson Rosas, I think that the Timberwolves would be under a lot more pressure to do something big, to kind of have something a lot more positive to talk about than a lot of what's happened over the last, I guess, week, week and a half. I could see that deal happening. And then the other one would be if Sacramento's interest is real in Ben Simmons and they're willing to do a one-for-one swap, Ben Simmons and De'Aaron Fox. I, I think those are probably the two trades that are on the table. And really, either one, I know that, um, Brett, I'll kick this over to you in a second. I know that a lot of people are high 
on De'Aaron Fox, and I would still include myself in that conversation. But I, I don't think De'Aaron Fox. I don't think he helps them get anywhere close to to winning a title this year. Anywhere closer. Like I think no matter what package you're looking at, they're likely punting on the year regardless. I don't see Philadelphia being in the Milwaukee. Brooklyn conversation to come out of the East. I, I guess the CJ and Rocco deal, in my opinion, would probably put them the closest because I'm just that high on CJ McCollum. I think the De'Aaron Fox swap would be great, you know, next year or two years down the road. I think once he's able to get more compass, uh, chemistry with Joel Embiid, he gets more familiar with playoff experience in higher leverage situations. I think that becomes a valuable asset and probably the the best long term package that could technically be on the table but in the short term i just i don't see any of these packages moving the needle in the slightest for phil and i think regardless i think this year they're just punting on the air i like d'lo to fit with Embiid and with that sixers team i think that could work i think his greatest flaw really is his his defense and i think philly with Embiid and guys like dival uh you know have uh the pieces to sort of cover for a lot of his mistakes, but I just think his shooting ability, his playmaking ability, uh, his length, I, I wouldn't be mad at D'Lo as a fit there. Uh, I think he's become pretty underrated, to be honest with you. I think he's much better than he has been getting credit for. And there's some fair reasoning behind him being a little bit slept on. You know, he's had some health concerns and Minnesota has not been, been very good, but, uh, <laughs> but I still think he's a really nice player. And I actually wouldn't be mad at that if I was a Philly fan, but, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll see what happens, man. It's something's gonna happen. Something's got to give. Uh, I hope it happens sooner than later, so we can kind of all just move on. But until you're telling then, me, man, you're you're, <laughs> know, you're right? telling me like I'm so sick of this crap. But we you. we we will move on because I'm sick of talking about Ben Simmons. I hope this <laughs> is this is one of the last times I'm talking about Ben Simmons in this regard. But Brett, let's move on. Who's next on the list for the Atlantic Division? All right. Uh, let's go to the New York Knicks. Oh boy. Uh, my question about them, you know, has to do with something that I've sensed with this team. And I think a lot of people, um, also do is that I think they could regress. And my question is, uh, how much, if any regression will we see from the New York Knicks? Because I think there are a lot of factors that could lead someone to believe that they could be a little bit worse than they were last year. Can I just say off the bat, I don't think New York's any higher than a seventh seed this year. I think at best they're a seventh seed. That's that's mm -hmm. my personal opinion. And even even the seventh seed is a little bit of a stretch. We've already outlined Brooklyn and Milwaukee. We just talked about Philly. The Philly will still likely be a, a playoff team, I think, regardless of what happens. Maybe they end up in the play-in tournament, they regress and, and take a slide, but I think they'll at least be somewhere in like the 7 through through 10 range for sure. Um, we, we'll, we'll be talking about Miami and Atlanta uh, when we get to my Southeast division. I think that they're obviously in the, in the race. We talked about Boston. Like, that's that's six teams right there, right right, right off the rip. Um, and, I, and I think Chicago has earned the right to to be in that conversation. I know that their defense at times this year could be end up being absolutely putrid, but they have so much firepower now on that team. I cannot see how they don't finish potentially with like a top six seed in the Eastern Conference. I'm I'm 
much higher on them to make improvements, make a leap than I am for New York to maintain the status quo that was last year of them being a top four seed in the Easter conference. So that's my answer. I don't, I don't see them being higher than like the seventh seed. What, what about you, Jacob? What, what do you see for the New York Knicks this year? No, yeah, I think it's more this kind of, for them last year, it was this kind of confluence of events that you have guys like Julius Randle, shooting 41% from three, RJ Barrett shooting 40% from three when shooting was seen as one of his big weaknesses, you know, Derek Rose shooting 41%, Alec Burke shooting 41%, like there's just, you know, even Reggie Bullock shot 41%, like that, that's a lot of really elite shooting for some players, certainly in like Randall's case and RJ Barrett's case, where they haven't been known for that for you know for their entire careers like Julius Randle shooting 41% from 3 is just on five and a half attempts per game is just insane that isn't something that we can that we should expect to survive into next year we just you can't carry that forward with the history that this team has i think a, i think a lot of what they did last year though is replicable i don't know if it's good enough because i mean yes they were the 4 seed but the problem when we kind of we just do it by seeding is we ignore the fact that they were one game above the mm-hmm. sixth seed. They were very close. Like if Austin takes a jump and New York falls, suddenly you know New York's in the rearview mirror. The Boston is still very close. And then you're talking about the seventh seed. You're talking about the eighth seed with regression. I don't see like like you guys said. I I don't really see this team being as good as it was last year i don't see it being a top six seed in the nba and then it becomes a playing team then you know that's as you point out already nathan that's just a whole shit storm going on down there at the bottom of the playoff race in the eastern conference there's like 12 good teams i didn't mention indiana i think indiana's going to be much improved this year too i know we'll get to them in this podcast but i'd throw indiana and i think indiana's probably a better team than the Knicks, if, if they're fully healthy, to be perfectly honest. Mm. That's, they the might. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing. The East is tough this year. Like, I think the East might be as deep as it's ever been. And it's going to be hard to make the playoffs. There's a lot of solid teams. And I just think I like a lot of those teams better than the Knicks. Like, well, you know, we'll get to them. But if we're talking about the, the Hornets or the Bulls or, yeah, even the Pacers, uh, the Celtics for sure. So it's like, I think in terms of their standing, like they're definitely not going to be the four seed. So they'll definitely regress in that sense. But yeah, even just overall, um, you brought up the shooting, uh, namely of RJ Barrett and Julius Randle. I, I could see a big regression there for sure. Uh, Jacob, I, I don't think that 40 plus percent for those two guys is at all uh, sustainable. And they also had a lot of opponent shooting luck that worked in their favor. Um, and I, I don't like to talk about that too much because it's usually people are talking about three point shooting. And it's like, well, you know, maybe they they close out better. You know, maybe they do guard the three pointer better and, and cause it to be at a lower percentage. But even you could even look at free throw shooting like they across the board. They had a lot working in their favor in that sense. So, you know, I, I definitely think they are going to regress. I think they're probably a play in team and maybe even like on the bottom half of the play in like the nine or ten. Uh, and, and, you know, they could they could still be a pretty good team and end up there. I'm not even saying they're going to suck or anything. I just think the East is that deep that you could still be a pretty good team and end up as the nine or the 10 uh, going into the play. And so, yeah, they're, you know, they're going to be a good defensive team. I think they'll for sure be in the top third of the NBA defensively, probably even higher than that. But if they regress at all in terms of shooting, 
uh, that it could get real ugly when you think about their offense. And they did add some on-ball playmaking in Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. I don't trust that backcourt, Brett. No. I'll stop you right there. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. That, that's oh. why I'm not a fan of this Knicks team. I, 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 I like the front line. I think Barrett will continue to improve. I can see Julius Randle. I don't know how much he can improve on his season last year, maybe slight regression, or maybe he does end up keeping pace with the numbers that he put up last year. I do like the big man rotation of Nerlens Noel, Mitchell Robinson, you throw Obi Top in there. I like everything they have going on in the front court. I hate what they have going on right now in the backcourt. That's not because I don't think Kemba Walker is a good basketball player when he's healthy. I cannot trust his knees anymore. I cannot trust his health. I don't know how many games that man's going to play. Evan Fournier, Evan Fournier is the most overrated player, I think, <laughs> in, in the NBA. I'm sorry that that man gets – he always ends up on these teams, and I can definitely see this happening this year with the Knicks where he gets too much offensive responsibility heaped on his plate. When you ask him to take more than like six or seven shots a game, he just falls apart. The efficiency's not there, especially late in games. He is not a big-time shot maker. So I just – you're you're asking what you're you're asking Alec Burks to once again be that guy to break the glass in case of emergency, and you're asking Derrick mm-hmm. Rose to put up like 25 plus points per game again in in, in some of these bigger games. So like I I, I just I don't I, I don't see it with the backcourt. I I don't no. see I, I I just don't see it. I'm sorry. It's it's a mess. The backcourt's a mess, and it always seems to be in New York. Like you can go back quite a long time and just. It's always just messy, and you don't like. I'm, Emmanuel quickly might be my favorite of all those guys, and, uh, and him, him to me is it. like one of the only bright spots. Like yeah. I, I like, I, I do like Quentin Grimes as well. I, I think Quentin Grimes is going to be one of the best shooters, if not, I think he's actually going to be the best shooter out of the 2021 draft class. But how many minutes does he actually get? Can Miles McBride earn any time on the court? What does the expanded role look like for Emmanuel quickly? Like we don't know the answers to those questions and we know how Tibbs is with the younger guys, especially since now they brought in Kemba and Evan Fournier. Like we know those guys are just going to eat up the minutes, no matter how much New York Knicks fans scream at Tibbs to play the younger guys and just get different looks with different rotations. Like it's, it's not going to happen. We, we know how this story ends. No. Yeah. I, I was actually going to, going to bring up how Emmanuel quickly, who is one of their only young bright sparks on this team is the position they kind of buried this off season by bringing in like they have Kemba Walker, bringing back Rose, uh, Fournier, you know, those like, there's so little defense in those guard spots that I just, I don't feel comfortable about it. And then burying quickly, like as the third choice point guard, maybe, or like second choice, like that's there's Yeah. It's, it's a bad, bad, bad rotation for me. And then I don't know. I don't know what they do with these other guys. I mean, like, do you play Dwayne Bacon, who might statistically be the worst? Oh my god! Oh my in god! The NBA? god. Uh, Dwayne Knox. Bacon. Thank, thank God he left Orlando so that some of those younger guys can actually like <laughs> put shots up. Thank God. Him and Fournier, him and Fournier both, man. They're just a couple of getting on guys out there, just trying yeah. to trying to get that next contract. You know, like they're they're looking for their shots for sure. And it's just been so frustrating as somebody who enjoys Orlando and and likes their young guys. Uh, Brett, have you uh, ever seen Dwayne Bacon pass the ball? I don't no, know if I've ever no, seen no, him. no, 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 never, no. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, he's one of my least favorite players in the NBA, and so is Fournier. So I think we're on the same page with with that. Uh, uh, yeah, so I think we're on the same page with the Knicks altogether. Uh, yeah. Prime for a regression. Um, you know, not maybe not the most. Exciting Can I make a bold team. prediction? Oh, yeah. yeah. 
One uh, one of New York or Philly is not making the top eight in the Eastern Conference. That's my bold Ooh. prediction. One of the two. Ooh, Ooh. yeah. Those are those are definitely the two regression teams for sure. Like I, I, you know, I could see that. I could see that. Obviously, I think New York's probably the more likely to fall out of the top eight just because Philly has Embiid. But shit, if Embiid gets hurt, God forbid. Um. And it's, yeah. it's they ugly. trade it's, Simmons and Embiid gets hurt, then uh, Philly's looking at a lottery cause, pick. Because Simmons That's always kept them afloat. When Embiid would go down, Simmons yep. would keep them afloat yep. above 500 anyway. Uh, and yep. and then, then, then you're asking Tobias Harris to keep them in the top eight. And, and I like Tobias ugly. Harris, but God God bless Philadelphia if that's what has to happen. So, <laughs> All right. Brett, who's who's next? We only got two teams left in the division. Yeah, let's keep we'll keep it moving here. Um, let's go to the Toronto Raptors. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, to what degree will they and to what degree should they embrace small ball? Because I think they've mm. got the personnel to do it if they want to. When you look I, I, it was under my impression that they, they're only going to play small ball <laughs> unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. I think, I think the tallest guy is what six, nine on the team. Yeah. And it's like, exactly. Like they're, I don't know. I heard maybe Ken Birch is starting. He's not a small ball type of player, but he's also not that, tall physically so i get maybe he would qualify but i'm just wondering like to what degree because like i know we're gonna see a lot of center minutes from precious achua and chris boucher and i think they definitely fit small ball both in stature and in style of play versatility all that but it's like are we gonna see some of those og or siakam at center lineups just super small when you when you run out all those six seven six eight six nine guys that you have just because it's interesting right now in the NBA, it seems like, especially with the better teams, everybody's kind of trending big. And I think a lot of that maybe started with the Lakers winning the title. But when you just look at Jokic and Bede and then the Lakers and, you know, the jazz, like um, everybody's kind of, kind of trending big, it feels like. And I, I just wonder if, if the Raptors could sort of zig while everyone else is zagging and just say, Hey, we're going small ball. We're going to be disruptive. We're going to cause some problems. So I, I'm just wondering mainly how much of who's going to start at center uh, what's their starting lineup going to look like? And then how much how much of OG or Pascal at, at center are we going to see? If I don't see a lineup at some point, I want to make this what this lineup is very clear. If I don't see a lineup at some point of Delano Banton, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Chris Boucher, I'm going to riot <laughs> in the streets. That is such an intriguing lineup would – especially if Delano Bain, some of his improvement on his jump shot, at least from, from a little bit of what I saw in summer league, if some of that's to be true, if Scotty Barnes is an improved jump shooter, especially given some of the shots that he was making at summer league, we know OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam and Chris Boucher can shoot the basketball. That is one of the most intriguing lineups that can exist in the entire yeah. NBA. If I don't see that for at least five minutes this year, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a brick through a window somewhere in Toronto. I will drive up to Toronto to just to throw a brick through somebody's window. Like that lineup <laughs> needs to be out there for at least five minutes. I, I, I to, to actually answer your question though, Brett, I think Precious Achua should be the starting center. It's going to be Ken Birch. I think Achua should absolutely get those minutes. I listen this this Toronto team. You you could say starting Precious at center over Ken would would technically put the impression that like. I don't know, maybe Toronto's not trying to be as good as they could possibly be, but I think Precious Chu is a damn good basketball player. I think this team could actually win more basketball games than everybody thinks by pure accident because while they are a young team, they have so much talent 
they still have Goran Dragic on the team, it, whether mm-hmm. he's moved at the deadline, you know, or, or let go or bought out that, that remains to be seen. I don't know if he'll be there all year, but they'll at least have him probably for the first half of the year. Fred Van Vliet's still a really good guard. Malachi Flynn, one of my favorite guards in the NBA, Gary Trent Jr. We know is just an absolute walking flamethrower. We you were, we're fans of OGN and OB Brett. Pascal Siakam can still rebound a little bit from what he was last year. And then, yeah, those bigs, Ken Birch, Chris Boucher, Precious Sachua, even Freddie Gillespie, shout out to, to a Beyond AM um, client. Freddie Gillespie is one of the best rebounders that, that I've ever seen in my life. You just look up all of a sudden, that man is like 11 or 12 rebounds. Maybe not pouring in a lot of points, but he's one of the better bench rebounders, I think, that could exist in the NBA. So they just have so many bodies and all that I didn't even mention Scotty Barnes. So <laughs> this team could just literally win games by accident. So they they are they are really fun to me. I think they're going to be in the East playing. I, I really do. I don't I don't think they're going to be eleven through fifteen. I think they're going to be like that tenth seed in the Eastern Conference. What about you? What about you, Jacob? I think they could be higher than the tenth seed. Honestly, Ooh, I mean, there I, we go. I do. Like like I've been quite big because last year they obviously. They had a very bad record. They, you know, I can't remember what it translated to in per eighty-two games. It was like thirty wins, something like that, like thirty-one wins over an eighty-two game season last last year. But you look at like their point differential; it's like a thirty-nine win team, forty win team. They were basically average, and they just had incredibly bad luck over eighty-two games. Like this team is closer for me. It's closer to being like an average team in the East last year. And yeah, if they can then add Scotty Barnes, if he is the real deal, and this team, like Press Sachua, I agree with you, like everything I've seen from Press Sachua tells me that he has real potential as like a screen and roll big, like a, a small ball screen and roll big in the modern NBA. I don't know, can we really call it small ball if like the smallest guy on the floor for Toronto at any one moment is like six foot seven? If, you know, you know what I mean. Like if if they run it's out insane. like, a, yeah, if they run out like Scotty Barnes and OG and Pascal and like Precious and Chris Boucher or something like that, like you know, OG's the little guy at six seven. Like just because they yeah. don't have anyone over six ten, it's just like there's no. I don't. I don't really know. If, I don't really know what you could call that because it's definitely not small. Like, I like the uh, like like Fred. Like the one I want to see is with Fred Van Vliet in a point guard and then yeah. from there maybe you go you go og siakam scotty barnes and boucher because yeah. og and scotty can play up for sure i think both of those guys it sounds like up. you guys want chris boucher to be the starting center is what it sounds uh, like he's oh. such a fun player and and, and he yeah, can I shoot would, yeah, yeah i wouldn't be shoot. against it yeah yeah and, i mean look at the season he had last year like i know he's not without his flaws but he had a hell of a season last year for them. It was one of their, their few bright spots in a really disappointing season overall. Uh, I'd be okay with him or Precious. And like, like what you said before, Nathan, like would that be some indication that they're not trying to win, especially if they started Precious? And it's like, are we sure Ken Birch is like that much better than Precious Achua? Because I'm not. I haven't seen anything from Ken Birch that has gotten me too excited. He's a solid player, but he certainly strikes me as a backup. I almost think starting him is kind of like 
okay, we suck. Ken Birch is our starting center. Like, at least Boucher and Precious offer upside and versatility and uh, it, it may be more of an identity just in terms of this versatile, almost positionless kind of small ball. No, I'm, 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 I'm not on the Kevin O'Cam, uh, Kevin O'Cam Birch bandwagon <laughs> over there. I'm not, I'm, I'm not on that one. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just not, no, but no, no, so, no. so either way, I think we, we think that somebody else should be starting in, in that center spot other than Ken Birch. But I think any way you slice it, it God, I don't know. I, I say 10 out of the, so the East to me, we can just do like a really, really quick wide snapshot uh, mm-hmm. of the Eastern Conference because we're talking so much about what we think the seeds are ultimately going to be for these guys. I mean, so you take a look at it. I got I got 11 teams in the Eastern Conference that I think could actually be playoffs slash play-in. So we have Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Indiana, Miami, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, the Knicks, the 76ers, the Raptors, and the Hornets. That's 11 teams right there. I, 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 I don't know who, who gets bumped out because it's like, yeah, Charlotte might be my 11th team, but Charlotte could end up being better than Toronto and Philly mm-hmm. could have injuries and make trades and they could bottom out of the whole thing. We all think the New York Knicks backcourt's an absolute tire fire. Like I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> well, in the Eastern I mean, Conference. Somebody's gonna, so- Somebody's going to get hurt. I mean, that, that might be what decides it. And, you know, we hate mm-hmm. that that happens, but it happens every year. And at least one of these teams is going to suffer a major injury. And I think that's, that might end up being the team that gets bumped because it really is that those 11 teams you, you named, it's very competitive in there. Who, who are the ones you excluded? Washington, Cleveland, Orlando, Detroit? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the eleven above them, that 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 gets real competitive there. Even Especially, Washington could be in there. Washington they could, could make the freaking playoffs. They could be. They, they, could, mean, be. they could be. They're definitely the best of the rest in that picture. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were back in the play-in again. Uh, so yeah, the East is tough. It's deep. I, like I said before, I think it's as deep as it's ever been. So it's like there's going to be some pretty good teams. Toronto could be pretty damn good and still be like the ten. But I'm kind of on the same page mm-hmm. with you guys. I think they're going to exceed expectations, um, maybe by a lot. I think there's a lot working in their favor this year, and I think people have forgotten how good they they were not that long ago, and and how much of that team does remain, and just how much linear improvement we're going to see from some of the holdover guys on that team, namely OG Ananobi. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty high on the Raps. They're definitely going to be uh, at the top of my league pass standings. Um, watchability <laughs> rankings, however you want to put it. Uh, no, they're not. No, they're not. The Oklahoma City Thunder are going to be at the top of that. Stop it. Guys. Stop <laughs> lying to the public. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Let, let's close out this division with, with the one. most obvious title contender. Let's, let's, what, what, what is our question regarding yeah. the Brooklyn Nets, Brett? I wanted to ask about their health because I do think that's going to be like the biggest determining factor probably for them when you consider that they're three superstars only averaged, I think, 41 games played last season together. But but at the same time, like, you just can't predict health. It's like, do you think they're going to get injured? Like, who knows, you know? Um, so mm-hmm. I'm going to ask a little bit more of a specific, a little more, bit more of a, a niche question here. And uh, it's kind of general, too. But how big of a role will Nick Claxton have on this team? Because I love Nick Claxton. Mm-hmm. He's one of my favorite players. Uh, I think he's an awesome talent. And I'm just like, is this like a 28 28- 30 minute a game guy for this team? I sure hope so. If they want to win games, I sure hope so. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think, yeah, probably. Because we look at guys like, you know, Blake's the wrong side of 30. LaMarcus Aldridge and Paul Millsap are like the wrong side of 35. So I do see Nick Claxton getting quite a bit of rope in that front court, even though. 
that front court is pretty like deep like not necessarily deep as in good but it's quite cluttered because like you throw in like aldridge Blake and Millsap, like yeah they're all names we know all those players but you know they were good five years ago so we'll see if they can actually do anything in the regular season or if nick claxon does take that center spot i do think he probably does honestly but we there's a lot we don't know about this team in terms of because their backcourt their wing side that's that's pretty embedded at this point we know that in the front court less so so I don't think that all four of those guys in the Brooklyn front court are going to be there by the time we get to the playoffs. I think I think one of them's going to get moved, cut, etc. Because I, I I think that Brooklyn will definitely be in the buy it buy it out market at some point mm-hmm. once we get past the trade deadline. They will look to improve this team in some form or fashion, and I think they're going to look at this front court as they have too much of the same thing. And that's why I think they were comfortable at least filling the roster spots with some of these guys now because they know that it's a it's an area where they can make a move at some point. Um, if, if I had to take a guess as to who is not on this team after the buyout period would probably be Paul Millsap. I don't think there's anything left in his tank. I think he's pretty much done at this point. Um, Blake Griffin had a prominent role with this with Brooklyn Nets team last year. Everybody likes him in the locker room. I think LaMarcus Aldridge, as long as everything is okay with him medically, I think basketball-wise, he still has enough left in the tank. I don't trust Paul Millsap at all. And Claxton should absolutely have a prominent role in a big man rotation because he's the only one of those guys who can actually guard somebody and protect the rim. So he 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 damn well better have a good spot in the rotation if Brooklyn wants to keep winning. What about what about you, Brett, since you asked the question? What do you think that all four of those guys are gonna be there by the time we get to the playoffs? Or you see any movement? Uh I mean I could see them all being there. Um I don't know that they'll all have roles when you're talking about Millsap, Aldridge, and Griffin. Like maybe one of them is just too washed to be on an NBA court, but they keep them around, uh, you know, for leadership purposes, or maybe they're valuable in spots. But I just think, I think Claxton is just clearly the best big on that team. And oh, absolutely. I, I, I just think his skill set, his athleticism, his ability to protect the rim, uh, the vertical threat that he provides, all of these things. When you've got, I mean, you name it, but like James Harden, say, you know, like to have a guy like that paired with James Harden, like we've obviously seen it in the past with Capella and just how valuable um, a guy like that can be. And I mean, I think Claxton's got more talent than Capella even. I mean, I think I'm very high on that kid and I'll tell you what, and we might not see it this season because that team is so stacked, but he's got a lot more to his game than he's shown us in the pros. He can shoot it a little bit. If you look at some of his G League three-point shooting numbers, he can handle the ball. He's a very versatile, fun player. And I think a few years down the road, we're, we're really going to see that start that stuff start to, to manifest on the court. But right now, as it stands with this team, uh, I think as just like a, a dive man in the pick and roll and, and a rim protector, he, he could be extremely valuable when you look at the attention that some of these other guys can draw and, and also Harden's passing ability specifically. So I'm hoping that he is their starting center and that we see, you know, 28, 30 minutes a game from him. Just roll with him. And yeah, that's going to mean one of those well-respected veterans isn't going to be able to play. But if anything, you want to save those guys for the playoffs. 
uh, you know, if you do consider them valuable. So I, I think Claxton, as a young guy and a very good player in his third year now, is, is someone they should lean on pretty heavily in the regular season. And I'm hoping they do. I think he should start. I don't think yeah. he's going to start, but I think he should. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. But other than that, I guess I guess my question for Brooklyn, if I was going to ask one, would be, does Kyrie Irving retire? And I, I think that's an honest <laughs> question at this point, just given everything going on. But, I mean, like, shit, if he doesn't get vaccinated, and, and, and I, I don't want to make this podcast political because I get tired of talking about that stuff sometimes, but, like, when, when you think about that he might not be available just because of that for 41 games out of the 82-game season, and then if they go to the playoffs and for whatever reason – he still didn't get it. Like, what would be what would what would be the point? Like, I, I think that if if he was really that gung ho about it, I, I think he probably would retire. That's been a rumor that's floated out there. I, I think it's likely that he gets the vaccine before opening night. None of this even happens. But like, there there is a possibility that that, that very well could happen, and that would that would change the picture and the outlook for Brooklyn. Maybe not as much because Harden could very well carry every single responsibility in the backcourt and the Nets could still win a title without Kyrie, but it does change the picture at at least a little bit. Is there any credence guys to any of that that's been floated out there by the media? Am I just blowing smoke up everyone's ass in my own podcast? Is all this going to be taken care of by opening night? What do you think? I mean, it's, it's quite an unprecedented situation. So I honestly, I don't think anyone knows who because yeah like someone's got a blink on this and the nba's never had this type of situation like basically a public health crisis like in the nba right now where it's finally having to face up to you know those kind of those deeper covid issues i so i I honestly don't think anyone knows i think that's probably given the media picture of Kyrie. i i would definitely not say it's impossible that he retires but yeah i I don't think anyone knows i don't think most of the people making the decisions in this know what's going to happen honestly brett you have anything else to throw in there about it yeah i mean just real quick i did see a report today that there's an expectation that he will ultimately get vaccinated and Mm -hmm. uh pressure from his friend and teammate kevin durant was cited as the reason behind that expectation I don't know. I mean, shit. What? Maybe he's already vaccinated and he just doesn't want to tell anybody because he thinks it's private. And then he comes out on opening night and plays. And he's like, "Yeah, what? You just assumed. You shouldn't have assumed. Who knows? I wouldn't. Put, I wouldn't put it past Kyrie. <laughs> I wouldn't anymore. put that past him either. He's like that too. Like he he might have right. been vaccinated for all for all we know. Um, and then no. And, and assuming he's not, I think the other thing to consider is that I mean, do these if you know fortunately right now cases are beginning to go down like it it does appear that the delta variant has peaked uh of course i'm no expert that's just what i've been reading uh, the last couple weeks uh assuming cases do go down and we have seen the worst of it you know do the mandates stay in place all the way to the playoffs i don't know everyone's kind of assuming that they will in which case assuming he doesn't get vaccinated he would have to miss half the season Uh, but if those mandates were to be lifted at some point you know, he, he, he'd be okay. So it's hard to say. I, I can't imagine he would retire. I guess if any player was going to retire in their absolute prime at this age for a reason like this, it would be Kyrie. But I still think that's unlikely. Uh, if he does refuse to get vaccinated and it 
does appear that the mandates are there to stay and that he will miss half the season, I think they have to look to trade him. Mm -hmm. I, I think they have no other choice, really. I mean, what, what are you going to do? But I think one way or another, whether it's – I think he will get vaccinated. I'm going to try to buy into that report today. Uh, but, man, this, that's such a tough thing to talk about, and, um, and, and we'll just have to see. But I, I'm trying to be optimistic with it, and I think he'll be there for at least most of the season. So with that being said, we can close out the Atlantic Division. Jacob, the floor is yours, my friend. We now move to the Central Division. So who who is the first team on your list? Boy, do you have some interesting teams in that group. I do. I actually I chose this team, this list of teams only because so I could talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Steve, we gotta are, represent Steve. We gotta, and I am. I'm gonna take them first. The defending champions can go first i mean a lot of these other teams are going to be sniffing around i don't think any other team is guaranteed to make the playoffs in this division so we'll start with the uh, defending champions the milwaukee bucks my question is mostly around the new recruits because i do think this starting five like they've kept pretty much the whole starting five maybe pj tucker you'd want to swap in and out there but they're getting divincenzo back after the playoffs is quite big you know they have bobby porter still brought back George Hill, but then they've got players like Grayson Allen, Semi Ojolet, guys like Rodney Hood. Obviously, they, they're bringing back Pat Connaughton. My question is, will these new recruits, so Semi Ojolet, Grayson Allen, George Hill, and Rodney Hood, will they add positive value to the defending champions? Or is it, are they, you know, not just kind of placeholders on this team and that kind of that minimum market where you think, Oh, that's a, that's a name I recognize. Now he's going to be the eighth man on the defending champions. That's probably going to be pretty good. And then it turns out he was never an eighth man for a good reason. And it, and you realize that the defending champ, there, there isn't as much depth as you, as you initially thought there would be. That's kind of my question. Do these recruits have value? Uh, in the regular season, I guess so, when, when Bud's probably going to have uh, a looser rotation. But as soon as it hits the playoffs and things get tight, I don't think any of those new recruits that you talked about are going to play unless somebody gets hurt, to be perfectly honest with you. If Dante DiVincenzo is fully healthy and ready to go, we, we talked about that's the starting five of Drew, Dante, Chris, Giannis, mm -hmm. and then Brooke. And then we have the same bench through the last playoffs. We have George Hill, Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis. And that's that's probably the eight that they're going to go with. If, if Dante gets hurt or, or Pat Connaughton gets hurt, I think Grayson Allen's probably the best out of that group mm -hmm. at that point to step in and, and get some minutes. But other than that, I mean, I've never, I've never been a big Shemi Ojale fan really since he's been in the NBA. Well, who Lord only knows what you're going to get out of Rodney Hood. Um, is, is somebody like Jordan Nuara ready to step up? I have, I have no idea. He's looked good in the very limited time that he's gotten on the court. A lot of it's just been garbage time minutes, but he has looked good when he's been out there. Um, yeah, Tremont waters. I don't expect to see the court. So this is, this is pretty much going to be quite literally the run it back team of the East. Let, let's see if you can beat us. Um, the, the same way that we were constructed last year. What about you, Brett? Yeah, I mean, I agree. They're going to be very similar in that they're not the deepest team. And, I, you know, last year they proved that, you know, you don't really need to go much deeper than eight to have success and in the playoffs, at least. 
I like Grayson Allen. I'm not sure he's not better than 35, 36 year old George Hill and even Pat Connaughton. Um, you know, I think he could be other than Portis, their best guy off the bench. I think he's a big upgrade over Bryn Forbes. If you look at him, probably taking those Bryn Forbes minutes, just in that he can also shoot the ball. He's hovered right around 40% on threes the last two seasons, but he also brings a little bit of defense, a little bit of on-ball playmaking, a little bit of uh, underrated athleticism too for Grayson Allen. Uh, you know, the guy's going to play hard. I think he's a real nice player. I could see him as kind of like their, their seventh guy. I'm not even remotely excited about any of the other guys they brought in this offseason. But I do like Grayson Allen. I think he's going to help them. I think they're going to like him a lot. I think he's a nice player. Does Steve hate Grayson Allen? Is Do, do we know if that's confirmed? Does he hate him? Yes. I feel like Steve probably hates Grayson Allen. <laughs> he does. He does. But I think, you know, this time next year, he he will not. I think Grayson's going to grow on Steve. But as of right now, I'm I'm 99% sure Steve hates him. If I, if I was just going to send a jersey to somebody just for shits and egos, I could definitely see myself sending Steve a Grayson Allen jersey. Make sure, make sure, like, it's, a Duke, make sure it's a Duke jersey. A Duke, Duke Grayson Allen jersey. You just, Steve, you have to wear this for the whole playoffs. Here, we're forcing you to wear it. I, 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 would, I would do something like that for sure. He just seems like somebody who Steve would hate to root for, but he kind of has to now. He could be an important contributor on the Bucks, but... Uh, yeah, pretty much. I think they we got all good too, man. They got all the Duke yeah. guys. <laughs> uh, is there anything left in his tank? Can can Rodney Hood play basketball at a high enough level anymore? Do we even know? Like, when was the last time we saw him in a meaningful role? What, like two, three years ago? Yeah, the beginning of the season with Portland. I think that year he he yeah. tore his Achilles, unfortunately, and and he was playing pretty well. He was a starter, I believe. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a tough injury to bounce back from. Um, I still remember when Zach Lowe could not stop talking about Rodney Hood when he was on the Jazz. Like he was like Zach Lowe's favorite player to talk about. Like all of his podcasts, he awesome. somehow found a way to bring him up. He was awesome and, on the Jazz. Yeah. I really, I really liked him on that team. Um, I, I, I had high hopes for him as well. And I don't know if I were a Bucks fan, I'd be at least a little bit excited about Rodney Hood if he can get back to at least where he was pre-injury. Like that's a really nice player. But yeah, I think the answer is we, we just don't know at this point. Jacob, who's next, man? Which team's next? So. I want to save one team for last. I'm going to go to a team I had trouble thinking of too much interesting to say about, and that's the Indiana Pacers. <laughs> Sorry, Indiana. But, yeah, this team, it's it feels like a, just a lot of parts to me. Like, it feels like, yes, they're okay. But they have a lot of good players. I don't think they have a single all-star, maybe, you know, Sabonis. I think he made the all-star game, but... No one else is, like, really in that level. Do the Indiana Pacers, I'm not going to ask for specifics, but do they make a trade at some point this year to try mm. to consolidate? Because they do have a lot of nice parts, like Brogdon, Levert, McConnell, you know, Justin Holiday, TJ Warren, um, O'Shea Brissett, who's getting a lot of kind of hipster buzz, you know, Sabonis, Miles Turner, Chris Duarte. They have a lot of good players Tory Craig Isaiah Jackson they Torrey have Craig's so great, many guys Jeremy Lamb what Jeremy team. Lamb this the, this team is absolutely loaded I love them I so last year you guys very well know that I was bullish on the Cleveland Cavaliers and before injuries happened they were damn well poised to make noise. They were already impressing, bursting out onto the scene. I thought they could have been a real surprise team 
in the Eastern Conference. The Indiana Pacers are my team this year that I think is going to outperform everyone's expectations. I think a lot of people, especially in the national media, have kind of just like written off the Pacers because they didn't do anything in the play-in last year. Everybody kind of thinks that they, they're bringing back the same team. They don't have a true superstar. I don't know how much noise they're going to be able to make, but like when, when these guys come back healthy, especially when, when you're adding in somebody full-time to the rotation like Karis LeVert, I mean, Karis LeVert, we know that he's a damn good basketball player when he's all right. I mean, TJ Warren was making some noise in the bubble down in Florida, making a lot of noise, broke my heart as a 76ers fan when he was just shooting daggers through the 76ers. They couldn't do anything to stop him. I love Sabonis. Miles Turner's still here. I do think they end up making a trade. I just don't know who the trade involves. Is it definitely, are they, are they finally ready to move on from for miles turner is 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 that the trade do they end up in some kind of trade for for a star and they have to package together multiple perimeter guys like brogdon lavert lamb some kind of combination of those guys i i have no idea i think a trade will happen i just don't know how minor or major it will be but even if no trades happen i think indiana is once again going to be a playing team i think they're probably at like that seventh seed but to a lot of people, it sounds like nobody's talking about them. It sounds like everybody thinks that they could even be out of the plan. I have no idea. But I, I think Indiana is going to be a damn good basketball team. They're going to win a lot of games that they probably shouldn't win because they have that much talent on the roster, even though it's not sexy. I, I, I'm all in on Indiana this year. What are your thoughts on Indiana, Brett? They're going to be in the mix. I don't know why I just have a hard time being excited about this team. And I think it's just because it's been in a sense, the same for so long, I guess, mostly just with Turner and Sabonis. It's like, do they break them up? I mean, to answer your question, Jacob, I do think there's going to be a trade. I think most likely it is one of those guys. If I were a Pacers fan, I think I'd want to keep miles Turner. I think he's really underrated. I think, I don't think he's been used properly. Um, he gets me a little more excited than Sabonis, to be honest. I, I might move Sabonis because I think you could probably get more for him, and I'd rather go go ahead with Turner moving forward personally. Uh, but I, but at the same time, I don't think they're going to trade Sabonis. Um, maybe Brogdon could be somebody that gets moved. I, you know, it, it's just like it, it almost feels like something has to give with this team just because there is so much talent, but it just doesn't quite seem to fit together. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime too soon. I think it would probably be at the deadline. They've got a new coach. They, like I said, they've got a lot of talent. So they're going to see how it works, see how it fits together. Carlisle's going to have his input. Uh, but I do, I do expect them to, to make a trade at the deadline, if I had to guess now. Um, I, I think Levert's going to have a big season. Let me just say that about the Pacers. Um, are, are, are him and Brogdon two similar players that have in the starting see, backcourt? That's one of the reasons why I could see them moving on from Brogdon. I think Levert's the better of the two, and I'm just not sure they fit together that well. Um, you know, you're, well, we'll see what, what Brogdon can do off ball because Levert needs the ball in his hands. That's who he is. That's what he does. He gets into the teeth of the defense. He creates, um, gets into the lane. He does that better than just about anybody. So, And I think he, he's a talented enough guy that you've got to let him do his thing. I mean, even coming back from that cancer removal surgery last year, he averaged like 21, 5, and 5 for Indiana. The year before, as a starter in Brooklyn, he was at like 24, 5, and 6. Um, he, anytime he's been on the court, he's been awesome. Wherever he's been going back to his days at Michigan, he's just had worse injury luck 
than anybody. He's had so many foot surgeries. Uh, he's already missed 130 games in five NBA seasons. So it's just like, if he, but if he can stay on the court, I think he's going to have a massive year age-wise, experience-wise. He should be right in his prime. And um, I could see him emerging as like their guy, which seems strange to say because he's kind of the new guy on the block with this team. But I, I think he could be, you know, establish himself pretty quickly. Is, is he that guy to be like the next coming of the Victor Oladipo breakout? Like quite literally in Indiana where you look at him and you're like, oh shit. Like, all right, this guy's all of a sudden bubble? like an all NBA type guard. Like him in the bubble, I mean, he he was phenomenal. He he was one of the best players in that in that bubble. Like if you look at, you know, before the playoffs at least, like he probably would have been all bubble first team. Um, of course, DJ Warren too. But uh, but yeah, I I, th I just expect Levert to have a big season. That's something I'm going to be keeping. I agree. I th I think I think Karis Levert's the better basketball player between him and Brogdon. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, I think that there there are times where he's shown that he's even the better passer between the two. I would still kind of rather have a more traditional point guard next to either of them but yeah i think karis levert's the the more talented basketball player and if you're going to ask me when it comes down to health i mean shit the both of them have been in and out of the lineup for virtually all of their time in the nba so it's like that's a wash you can't really use that as an excuse to pick between the two so jacob which which one of those two would you rather have which one of those two you think could possibly be moved see um... you're gonna take brogdon aren't you yeah you well, are the thing is, the thing is right thing is all these guys are on very tradable contracts like brogdon is their most expensive player about 22 million and they drop down like sabonis turner and karis levert they're all nearly 20 million ish did you like they have a lot of really tradable deals a lot of deals you could package because then tj mccollum's like 13 million you know i mean tj mccollum's like 8 million tj warren is like 13 million you know tory craig at like five they have a lot of deals where they could mix and match contracts and players and picks together to get different players. The problem is if I'm trying to get a star, do I think if I'm trying to get like a star guard or a star wing, maybe, maybe I'm like packaging Levert and Warren for like a really good um, wing player with picks or with, you know, maybe I'm throwing in like Chris Duarte in there as well, you know, just some trade to get a star. Brogdon is probably the guy I want next to that star more than Karis LeVert, just because Brogdon has, I think, more off-ball capabilities. I think he's been really consistent. Like, he's he's in that kind of tier where you're, like, you're below an all-star level player, but you're still really good. Like, I still, like, if you said, oh, and Malcolm Brogdon is your starting shooting guard, I'd be like, yeah, pretty good. Like, we're doing, we're doing all right, guys. We're doing okay. We're maybe not great, but we're doing okay. I wouldn't, yeah, I would probably also move Sabonis more than that. Like, to me, Brogdon and Turner are the two that I would look to keep to as, because I think their skill sets most comfortably blend around like a superstar wing or a guard. So they're the guys I would rather keep rather than Sabonis and Levert, who maybe need the ball in their hands a bit more, a bit less spacing. But yeah, I just think this team, so many players between like 25 and 29 right in their primes with these really tradable contracts. A lot of them, if they're not positive value contracts, there aren't really any huge negative value contracts on this roster. Yeah, I, I just think they're primed to take a jump if they want to throw the, all their eggs into one basket. What would happen, and, and I know that this wouldn't happen, I wouldn't necessarily want it to happen, although I do like this player very much. I, I am bigger on Sabonis 
than I am Turner. But what would happen if you just flipped Demonis Sabonis and Ben Simmons? What would happen to the Indiana Pacers? Would would the Indiana Pacers all of a sudden vault themselves amongst the top teams in the Eastern Conference? Because when you talk about fits, if you're trying to, if Ben Simmons is trying to get to a place where he just fits basketball wise, much better than where he was. Now, all of a sudden it's Ben Simmons and four shooters and you have, you have Turner and Ben Simmons in the same front court defensively. Mm -hmm. It's a good fit. I mean, and I mean, I think it's no secret that Simmons would like to be the man and he could be Mm -hmm. the man on that team. I think for sure. Like, uh, so I I think it would appeal to him in that sense, at least maybe not so much the market. Uh, I like the fit, man. I think it definitely, it definitely puts them, uh, it definitely makes them a lot better. It's hard to say, it's hard to project, but they, I think they'd probably be top six if they could do that. I think they'd be better with Simmons than Sabonis, even if in a vacuum, maybe Sabonis is a better player, which I'm not sure about. Um, but I wonder what would happen to Philly. That would be pretty wild. Um, Super size. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to see a Sabonis and B front court. That is just, oh, and That'd Tobias Harris at the three. <laughs> oh. it, honestly boys it sounds like something philly would do to be honest like <laughs> let, let's just let's just keep trying out all these freaking big players elton brands sitting there <laughs> yeah, screaming in the it. front office let's do it let's just yeah. be super size i don't know but yeah that would just man if, if indiana was able to pull off something like that holy cow they they'd be they'd be right up there in my opinion that'd be really interesting um mm-hmm. jacob next team on the list so next team on the list will be the team that picked number one in the entire NBA this last uh, draft, the Detroit Pistons. And this question is specifically tailored for the fact that I'm on a podcast with you, Nate. Is Cade Cunningham the real deal? Uh, he's not going to be this year. I, 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 I don't think he's going to be this year, and I'm not... You, we so we have to of. dance around this topic very carefully because I don't want to break poor Molly's heart. Um, <laughs> but I, I I don't think this year is going to be his year. I think he's going to need to adjust to the speed of the NBA game. He's going to need to adjust to playing against NBA athletes on a nightly basis. I mean, you saw it in, in Summer League when you go back and flip on some of the film and Brett and I were there watching Cade in, in, in person. He is He is a very very skinny player he does not seem like he's going to handle contact in the nba particularly well he's a little bit of a step slow he doesn't exactly get by people very easily i think he's going to have a lot of learning to do in terms of getting a little more craftier with his handle and then in turn putting a little bit more bulk on his body similar to like a Luka Doncic, for example, where Luka's not the quickest of guys, but he just knows how to manipulate a defense. He knows how to at least get a half a step on somebody, and then he's just so big that if he gets a guy on his hip, like that guy's not getting around him and, and in turn inhibiting Luka from doing what he wants to do on the court. Cade, Cade needs to figure out how to do some of that stuff um, before he's going to really take a jump in the NBA. Now, I will say this. Cade's jump shot, I think, is ready for for the NBA. And that was his biggest question mark coming into the college season last year was how good of a shooter is Cade Cunningham? He answered all of those questions. In summer league, he was 
pouring in three after three when he was playing with that Pistons team. So I do think the jump shot's ready. He's going to be a reliable force floor spacer. He can make good decision with the basketball. I'm incredibly intrigued by his defensive versatility. I think he can guard two through four in time, but like I said, because of some of the physical attributes, that's going to be a work in progress. But I, I don't see him being this amazing rookie who's going to average like 25 and five, like Tyreek Evans did years ago for the Kings, for example. Like I, I don't see him having that level of statistical output. If I had to guess a stat line for him, probably like, I don't know, 15 points, like four rebounds, three assists, something like that would be what I'd guess. Maybe the assist can take a significant jump if some of the guys around him are making more shots than I'm projecting. But I think I think it's, it's going to be a relatively quiet rookie year for Cade Cunningham. And then I think as he gets more used to the NBA game, gets more used to NBA-level training, he gets the right condition, not, not conditioning, but the right strength program in place for him going into next offseason. I think year two is when he really takes a significant jump in the NBA and the Pistons get right back into the playoff conversation. What about you, Brett? I could see the Tyreek Evans numbers. You can? Year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could see, tw- I could see 25 and five. Um, and, and man, I agree. Like we, we've definitely talked about this at summer league. Like he, he did look skinny. He was a little skinnier than I expected him to be. Um, the shooting was, was very impressive. I was at the game where he had, he had 24, uh, and I think seven, three pointers against the Knicks. He, he, his shot looked beautiful. It looked confident. I think he's going to end up being one of the best shooters in this draft class, both ultimately and even as a rookie behind maybe a couple guys like uh, like Moody or Kispert and uh, maybe Grimes and, um, you know, a couple guys like that. But, I mean, he's, he's going to be up there. I think he's one of the better shooters in this draft. And that was not a knock on him necessarily, but it wasn't really recognized as a strength, certainly coming out of high school. And I think he's developed that to where he's already – um, a, a, a plus shooter for sure from deep and and uh, and who knows I think the sky's the limit in that respect and if he could become uh, a 40 percent three-point shooter sooner than later I think that does make up for some of the deficiencies he might have related to uh, a lack of strength but uh, but I, I just think he's much like Jalen Suggs just a natural leader uh, just a yep. guy that's going to be an absolutely positive uh, presence on the court at all times and and I, I do think he's going to put up some pretty nice numbers and I think Detroit's going to be a little bit better than than people think I mean certainly in the bottom five in the east bottom four in the east I'd say I don't even think they have a shot at the play-in but they could be the best of that bottom non-play-in bunch uh, I'm, I'm pretty high on Cade I think he's probably my pick to win rookie of the year yeah Jacob are you about to serenade Molly with your take on Cade or <laughs> see I'm I'm not so sure about I I do think one thing you might be underestimating with Cade is how I mean you guys both pointed out how good a shooter he is. That's something that you know stats have been screaming out for since he entered college. Just how good a shooter he is, how all his indicators suggest that you know he could be a legitimate like volume threat from behind the line. And we've seen I think in the last few drafts that guys like that who come into the league with a real working jumper with range, they get a lot more rope as young players to just go out there and maybe make mistakes. They get a lot more, even if they do make mistakes, they're more likely to get thrown back into the game. So I think Cade is going to have quite a lot of opportunities. And I don't think outside of him, I don't see who else is really taking a lot of shots or who else is really dominating the ball. Like, yes, they've got Killian Hayes, 
Oh, they got Jeremy Grant. Jeremy right. Grant, Sadiq Bay are going to take a lot of shots. Without, without take question. A lot of shots, but yeah, but how many are we talking about here? When I still think there's going to be a lot of room for Cade Cunningham to muscle his way into that starting lineup in the season, even if he doesn't actually start. I think he probably will, but if he doesn't, then I think he will be by the end of the year, just because he is so big. He projects to be good defensively if he can get on, you know, if he can get some more strength. He's already a very good shooter. I think, I don't know if I would slide with him being rookie of the year, because I do think there are maybe other guys in better positions to do it. Maybe other guys who are going to be more eye-catching, like Jalen Green. I do think Cade, I don't know if I think he'll be a positive value player as, as a rookie, but I think we'll definitely, at the end of the year, be like, yeah. Detroit made a good pick still. I I think he so so when we say positive value, you're probably talking like player efficiency rating along those lines, right, I'm Jacob? Talking, I'm talking, yeah, kind of more like kind of plus minus in the sense that, you know, okay. if negative two is like a replacement level player, like he'll be he'll be adding points to the team. Like the the team will be better with him on the floor than with him. I mean that should be a given, but like he'll he'll add positive value to this team. Yeah, I, I think he's probably going to be, as far as PER at least is concerned, I think he's probably going to be around slightly under league average. So he'll be in like that 13 to 14 range, which is actually really good for a rookie. Like you see a lot of rookies generally come in anywhere between 12 and, you know, you have some of them that come in at around nine or eight PER, mm-hmm. which is bad, but it's also to technically be expected they're a rookie, right? If you're, if you're a rookie and you're averaging 13 or 14 or you are above league average as far as PER is concerned, that means you're doing a damn good job in your rookie season. And I, I, I see Cade right there. I just don't think the counting numbers are going to necessarily blow us away, which is why I agree. I wouldn't necessarily give him the edge in the rookie of the year conversation. I would give that to uh, Miss, Mr. Jalen Green down in Houston, but. Um, yeah, that's that's a fine that's a fine choice also man I think it will probably come down to those two um I, I just I my I guess my the last thing I'll say about this is my, my question is just how it's going to look between him and Killian Hayes I think you know you have to expect they're going to be sharing the floor quite a bit and just as far as just the on ball off ball shares between those two I wonder how that ends up shaking out they were fun to watch uh, at moments during summer league they ran some really fun two-man actions uh, between the two of them and um, but I'm just curious to see how it will fit together. I mean, I think obviously I like Cade more off ball now just because of his shooting ability. But at the same time, I think so much of his value comes from what he can do with the ball. Uh, so that that's it, on paper, it might not be an, an ideal fit, but that's going to be one of the big things to to watch for this coming season for sure. Because they're they're they both are very promising young players. Even Killian, like I think you know, I don't think anybody should be giving up on that kid at this point. So so Cade is a good leader in the locker room he is a good communicator but what is inside of Cade Cunningham for him to kind of just get angry a little bit at points throughout the season we'll find this out to where he looks right at Killian Hayes and says yo dude stop taking like four fucking step back threes over Mm. the course of the game and just bricking all of them because like if you are going to put the ball in Killian Hayes's hands more Cade's not that assertive type score that's going to be like over there, like coming off of a screen or something and like clapping his hands like five times, like, yo, like I'm open, like get me the ball for a shot. Like he's one of those guys that if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he can be a little more passive on the court. And if you're going to let Killian Hayes just dance with the basketball and the result is 
uh, brick step back jump shot. Like I can't imagine that that bodes well for, for Cade's development either. So yes, I do think the two of them can share the court together because they can both dribble pass and shoot. But at what level of responsibility do you want to split? What level of responsibility do you want to split between the two of those players? And will Cade step up at points throughout the year when he kind of has to take over for a better result for the team versus, you know, some of the things that Killian does that, that inhibits the team from having success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think those are some of the biggest questions with this team this year, because obviously that backcourt is a huge part of your future. At least that's it's dynamic. It can be very dynamic. I do like the fit, but, but how, (laughs) yeah, how did, how do they actually fit together? We'll, we'll, we'll find out. Um, Jacob, who's next buddy. Next up. The Cleveland Cavaliers, no introduction, just they don't really deserve one at this point. We'll see how they, we'll see how they do it this year. We'll see how they do. My question is, regarding this team, is uh, Sexland the starting backcourt for this team at the end of the year? So will they make a trade for one of, will they trade one of Sexton or Garland or both? I don't know. So I've warmed up to the 76ers trade package that throws Ben Simmons to the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Cavaliers give up Sexton, Okoro, and multiple draft picks. I actually have warmed up to that package because I think that Okoro and said draft assets along with some of Philly's other draft assets can then be flipped for Mm -hmm. another high contributor type of player. And then you bring in Sexton who he can either be um, one of your starting guards, we can be your first guard off the bench and just provide you immediate scoring value off the bench. I, I don't know. Again, Sexton's not going to help the 76ers win a title this year, but Sexton plus the combination of assets that could be flipped into something else for another starting caliber player should one become available. I think that that package is enticing for after this season down the line, thinking long-term. So um, I think that's probably the most feasible trade that would happen to break up the backcourt. If not, I think a deal could technically still happen. I just don't know what that deal might be. But I know for sure, especially after Jackie McMullen sticking her nose in this excellent backcourt and putting out the positive publicity that Steph's in love with Darius Garland and he thinks that Darius will be a star in the NBA. I, I can't see the Cavaliers getting rid of Garland. So it's if they get rid of Sexton and if they do for what and – I think the most logical explanation would be they traded him for for Ben Simmons. What do you think, Brett? I would love that if I were the Cavs to get mm-hmm. Ben Simmons for for Sexton. I'm not I'm not a big Sexton guy. I think he's another guy that we could see some regression from, uh, especially as a shooter. Well, that trade would mean breaking up uh, the Cavs and and breaking your heart a little bit because you are an Okoro fan. Oh yeah, you you had a Coro in there too, man. I don't, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, just, I still might do it though. I still might do it. No, I'm a bigger Coro fan, and I think he's, I think he's gonna have a nice season. I, I think he's really gonna su- surprise people with with some of the stuff he can do offensively that he he did flash at summer league. I know it was just summer league, but but you can still take some stuff away from it. And I think he's got a little bit of a uh, playmaking chops that we might see. But I and I agree with with Steph's assessment of Garland. Well, mostly. I mean, I I, I do think he's gonna. 
I think he's primed for a breakout year. I think he's got a very bright future. I think he's one of the best passers in the NBA. I tweeted calling him top five, and then I thought about it. I'm like, nah, maybe like maybe if we're just talking point guards, <laughs> but he, but he's up there in terms of like the passes he can make. Um, I think he's certainly a top 10 passer in the NBA, and he's only going to get better. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Garland fan. I think it's all about Garland. It's all about Mobley. It's all about Okoro. Sexton's a nice player, hard worker. You have to respect him. But I think he's just kind of the odd man out in terms of fit, in terms of just, you know, these guys are all going to need their shots. They're all going to need their own their own growth. They're all going to need reps. And, and he feels a little bit a little bit uh, extraneous at this point. So I do think they're going to move him. I don't think it's really any secret that they would like to move him. Um, so I, I just think that I do think that will happen. Uh, and it's just, it's just kind of a matter of, of when, um, but. So if the 76ers would trade Ben Simmons to Cleveland and, and Sexton would be in that deal, you bring in Ben Simmons. My follow-up question would be they just paid Jared Allen, but would they then try and move off of Jared Allen? And you would have a front court. Yeah. You would have a front court of Ben Simmons, Lowry Markkinen, and Evan Mobley. Even even without Ben Simmons mm. there, I think I think Allen's got a little bit of potential to be to be traded. It just it, it's they're gonna see what it looks like with Mobley and him mm. and Lowry, and you know they're not trading Mobley. Uh, maybe they look to move Lowry, but I, I would not be shocked to see them move Allen if Mobley looks like he needs to be a five and if he's maybe a little further along than some of us expect uh i wouldn't be surprised i would say i would say sexton would be the the most likely to be traded but probably allen after him yeah i think there's definitely something feels to me slightly off about that for like i I, i'm a fan in theory of all their young frontcourt players in mobley allen markinen but the the thing that kind of strikes me as weird is that all these guys are like seven foot tall. <laughs> like this, this is your four and five, and I know like that shows how far the NBA's changed. But can you really run two seven footers out there right now, any given time? I'm not sure with some of these guys that you can. Maybe we'll see. Oh yeah, Mobley is you know he's more mobile than we initially thought even, but. To what extent? I'm I'm really not sure. And something that really struck me about this team is that if you take their, you know, their two most high-profile guards in Sexton and Garland and Akuro, and then whoever you want to take out of that front court of, you know, maybe we'll take Mobley and Jarrett Allen. That means they have like two six-foot guards, two seven-foot um, bigs, and then just Isaac Akuro, who's slightly undersized like a small forward in the modern nba so this team is crying out for like six seven six eight wings they just they have nothing in that range they have like chetty osman is like their only kind of standout contra- contributor over long periods of time i i do worry that this team is kind of top heavy like i i certainly don't see this team in a big switching defense let's put it like that I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that front court. I think a big reason for them going and getting Lowry Markkinen the way that they did, I think that they understand that given Mobley's summer league performance, albeit it is only summer league, but I think that they understand that he's not going to be ready next year to have a breakout season, and that's fine. It takes big men longer to develop. 
That's why I'm still very much so on the James Wiseman train. I will remain on the Evan Mobley train, even though I had him. I would have him behind guys like Jalen Green and Cade Cunningham, but I still have Mobley right there. Somebody who's going to be incredibly valuable for Cleveland long-term, just not next season. I'll be incredibly curious to see what happens. I agree, Jacob. It's a, it's a really, really, really weirdly constructed team. It's like it's like all point guards and all bigs. Mm-hmm. And your wing depth is, it's it's a Coro, it's Osman, if Dylan Windler ever gets healthy, and if Lamar Stevens could actually actually contribute on an NBA floor in, in a much more positive way than, than he's gotten in some of the garbage time he's gotten in the past. We'll, we'll see what happens with the wing depth for Cleveland. But very interesting team, bottom of the Eastern Conference, along with somebody that, that I'm going to talk about in, in my division. But So I guess last but not least, Jacob, would be the Chicago Bulls. They would be. And my question with the Bulls is, mm, it's at what point, how often and how early do the Bulls pull out more small ball lineups? Because looking at this team, beyond Vucevic, they have Tony Bradley as the backup big. Neither of those guys, between between those guys, I don't think there's 48 NBA minutes. Like... (laughs) I just just to put it just to put it bluntly, there's there's not like I don't I like I don't want Vucevic playing 32 minutes. I don't want Bradley playing anywhere close to 16 minutes. Like I I just don't want that. So at what point do you start thinking right? Are we gonna play Caruso, Lonzo, Levine, Rosen, and Patrick Williams as like for long stretches of time just because we don't have any center rotation depth we don't even have power forward depth you got like tyler cook as like backup power forwards like maybe derrick jones jr Jr., man he is shout shout out to brett brett's gotta have uh, words about that man like at at what at what point is he your starting is not your starting center but is he playing you know six minutes of center in the third quarter like there comes a point something has got to give with this team because i do like a guard depth ultimately in like Caruso, Lonzo, Zach Levine, Kobe White, uh, they they got some nice players. They got some, you know, Patrick Williams. I'm very high on. DeRozan, not so much. Like I don't think this. I think this team is going to be worse than a lot of people expect. But I do see a quite a lot of small ball from this team, and I'm just wondering how much they lean on that. Can I tell you who I think might end up there to add more big man depth? Mr. Andre Drummond from the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> I, I think that Doc's going to get so sick and tired of Drummond at some point. And Embiid, and and we already know Embiid hates his ass. And I think they're going to realize at some point around the middle of the season that Paul Reed's going to be ready to play a lot more backup minutes for them. And I think that Drummond's going to get the boot. And if there's one team who does need big man depth, I agree with you, Jacob. It would probably be Chicago, and they'd probably be one of the teams to want to take a flyer on them, especially if Chicago is in the thick of the playoff race in the Eastern Conference. So that that is actually how I think they're going to solve that depth at some point. Will I be right? I don't know. I usually get shit like that wrong, but I think it'd be really fun. I'd like to see some of those Patrick Williams at, at center lineups for fun. I mean, I, I you know, I, he's, he's a strong kid. He's a big kid um, against certain teams and certain lineups. I think he could, he could, he could guard up a little bit. I think he could maybe hold his own there. That would be a, a really fun team. I mean, this team is built for speed. There's no question when you look at Lonzo, Levine, Rosen, Derek Jones Jr. can absolutely fly. 
uh, and, uh, and Patrick Williams is, is pretty athletic in his own right. So I would like to see that, and that's why, I mean, Vucevic makes sense for them in some capacity as a floor-spacing big that, that has a lot of ability as a passer. Uh, I like him in the half court, which is going to be the majority of their their possessions, but but at the same time, I do think he inhibits their ability to run uh, just a little bit. Um, but you know, he's getting paid a lot of money. He's he's their guy. He's gonna be playing 30 plus minutes. And then uh, and Tony Bradley, I mean, he's not the most exciting guy. He's almost like a poor man's Daniel Gafford, actually. But just as a backup center, you could do worse for a guy you bring in on the minimum. That that so still has a, a little bit of upside. When you guys are talking about backup big minutes, are you talking about putting Pat Williams at the five to, to sort of match small lineup for small lineup? Or are you talking about Pat Williams potentially just playing, and not significantly, but as you said, Jacob, like six to eight minutes, and talking about playing him up against a, a true big? Because I, I can't see that happening. No. No, I can't I, see that happen. I, yeah, I, I can't imagine him them matching him up against a true big. I mean, uh maybe some true bigs that aren't that aren't really as uh as adept at, at at taking advantage of their size maybe you throw them out there to try to force the other team to go small but i would think mostly um more of a reaction just to to, to match up with a team like say toronto that might be going small i think that could be a fun look i think the bulls could maybe beat a team like that at their own game by putting pat at the five but but it would be pretty limited but it would be some fun lineups for sure see i i think the NBA is starting to come around. I think we're seeing more and more, especially in playoff series, where with like Brooklyn last year, where they would, you know, they wouldn't run. Even Blake Griffin wouldn't. They'd have like Kevin Durant would be their tallest guy on the on the court, but he's not a center in any capacity. And then they'd have, you know, Harden. They'd have a different players kind of moving up slots. I think the NBA is realizing that we don't actually lose a huge amount by going small like yeah yeah we might take a couple hits in our rebound in our rebound percentage or you know our block percentage will go down maybe shots at the rim get slightly easier but i think overall the data is starting to add up that it's not the the intuitive negative that it is isn't really borne out in the results and i think we're going to start seeing more and more that no, we're just going to play this, you know, 3-4 as our 5 for longer stretches of time. And I certainly could see, you know, even Rosen nominally being the 5, even though obviously he has no defense anyway, he wouldn't be adding any more. You'd kind of have to be covering up with with wings like Derek Jones Jr., like Patrick Williams. But I do see a team like Chicago trying to lean into something like that to maximize their offensive talent. I just wish they had a guy like Achua the, as as mm-hmm. their second string center, like a guy that really that really could could thrive in that role as like as a more versatile, mobile, smaller ball center. Yeah, they they definitely that is kind of a, a hole uh, in their roster. But you know they're really well coached. I'm I'm very high on Billy Donovan as a coach. I think I think he's gonna figure it out. You know how I see this team almost? They're almost like Nets light. Where mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're got, gonna score 120 points, yes. but then they're gonna let up 130 points. Yeah, they've got a couple of great isolation scorers in DeRozan mm-hmm. and Levine, uh, similarly to, to how the Nets do, obviously, um, on a larger scale. But, but yeah, I, just, I think that's what they're going to be. I mean, I think they're going to be a good team just based on that, um, just scoring a ton of points, probably giving up a ton of points. Uh, they're going to have some funky lineups. Um, they're they're going to be fun. I think they're – I'd probably have them 
on the top edge of the play-in, you know, like six or seven maybe uh, in the mm-hmm. East. But I, I think they're going to they're gonna be good, but they, they're not without their flaws, that's for sure. No, that's that's exactly what I said about them last season, Brett, at the deadline, when they made that move for, for Vooch. I was like, okay, so they're looking to Zach Levine and Vooch to pretty much be their one-two combo that's going to pour in a, a ton of points but there will be zero defense. And I mean, at the time you were looking at in the ideal situation of Kobe white, wasn't hurt. You're talking about Kobe white, Zach Levine, um, Pat Williams would be the three. And then they had Thad young at the four and then Vooch at the five, like where's the defense in that lineup mm-hmm. other than Pat Williams. And it's the same thing. Now you just basically swap out Thad young for, for DeRozan. And then sure you have Lonzo ball in there, but if Lonzo ball doesn't take a step forward again defensively like how he was when he first got to New Orleans or when he was with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. If it's the Lonzo Ball and defense that we got last year, then yeah, again, you're looking around the lineup. Where the hell is the defense? It's like only Pat Williams because DeMar's not going to guard anybody. Levine, Levine tries so hard to be good defensively, <laughs> but it's just he, he'll even when he contests shots, it's just for whatever reason, his matchup just makes everything contested or not. Um, and I kind of feel bad for the guys sometimes when I'm flipping on the film. But, like, yeah, Vooch, everything with him not being able to protect the rim but also being a liability, especially or playing, like, drop coverage, et cetera, problems with any big man in the modern day. Like, yeah, the, this team is going to play almost no defense. And it's we'll, we'll see how – they're going to win a lot of games, Brett. I agree. They're going to win a lot of games. They're going to be in the playoffs. But yeah, whether they can actually win in the first round, I have no idea. Yeah, it's going to be all drop. And, you know, when, when you're playing drop, like you want, you want the guy to at least be able to protect the rim and Vucevic, I mean, he can do that in some capacity, but, but not really. It's just, there's, there's almost no path to them being like an above average defense. Like even in my wildest imagination, I, I can't really see that. I, I like the Lonzo Caruso duo a lot uh, in terms of defense at the point guard position. When you look at, you know, as far as like a starter and a backup, I think they're always going to have solid defense coming from there, but we all know that's not as valuable as big man defense in the NBA today. And, and we know about DeRozan and Levine's flaws. So uh, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch, but uh, yeah, they're going to get lit up on quite a few nights this season. There's no doubt about that. Smart basketball teams that know how to not just score in isolation, but also um, play within motion, um, run guys off of screens, backdoor cuts, teams that run a lot of those type of sets and call a lot of those plays more regularly than just clear everybody out to the weak side and let you ISO, those teams are going to kill the Chicago Bulls. Because when you look at it, even Lonzo Ball at his best is more of an on-ball defender. Zach Levine gives effort on the ball. Vooch is essentially, yeah, he'll block a shot by the rim when he's like right there. But these are all guys that are not good off-ball defenders, and you can literally backdoor them to death. Like if you, like, God, Chicago against like the Phoenix Suns this year, I would expect Phoenix to beat them by like 40, 45 points, to to be honest, because they can just obliterate that defense or lack thereof so easily so yeah i'll be incredibly curious to see um what coach donovan's going to be able to cook up with with the chicago bulls this year all right my turn boys southeast division god atlanta hawks we'll start with them my question do the hawks keep the team they have at the moment together through the trade deadline or will they look to dismantle part of their young core and other assets to make a move for another star. And yes, guys, I am proposing that star is Bradley Beal. That trade's been rumored now by not necessarily the mainstream media, but people within the media, respected basketball minds within the industry have floated this trade out there. David Thorpe 
pretty much thinks it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when I'm kind of on board with him. I mean, you figure, so Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella, and Bogdan Bogdanovich, that's your core, right? And then you have DeAndre Hunter, who could technically be part of that core, but he's also a really intriguing trade chip, depending on what they actually have to do to get the deal done. You have Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter, Jalen Johnson, and Sharif Cooper. You have a starting five of very valuable young players and assets on top of everything else in terms of draft capital they could that they could trade. They control all of their own first-round picks, I believe, through the 2029 season. So they have plenty to work with, could do plenty of alternating um, semi-protected or unprotected first-round picks. They could do pick swaps. They have all those young players. They have the best package of any team in the NBA to put on the table for a trade for a star. The best name that will likely be available who actually makes sense would be Bradley Beal. Dame Lillard does not make sense with Trey Young. So I think that trade's going to happen. I don't know if it will happen this year at the trade deadline, but who knows? Maybe Bradley Beal lasts out. I think it's going to happen at some point over the next calendar year. What do you think? I can I can see it, but at the same time, I think it's I think it's a trade where the Atlanta Hawks are in a pretty good position right now, no matter what. Like 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 you you laid out there, these this team goes, you know, eight, nine, ten deep in quality NBA players and a lot of them under twenty five. Some of them still on their, you know, most of them still on their rookie contracts actually. So I can see it and then they have a lot of very tradable contracts in like you mentioned, like like a Bogdan at like eighteen million, or you know, Gallinari is the one. I think what is yeah. he like twenty million or something like that. He's the guy you got to yeah. throw in if you need the money to work. Yeah, but at the same time, I think he's he's a bit more negative value on that twenty million that maybe you're having to throw in more than you want. I, I'm not sure. Maybe if you're you're set on keeping Bogdan, you're willing to throw more in to take to put Gallo into that deal, or you know, throw in Jalen Johnson as a sweetener, like. I totally buy it because like you like you laid out there, there aren't many teams in better positions to make trade packages for superstars than the Atlanta Hawks are outside, you know, the their depth, their young players, like we said, still on rookie contracts like Cam Reddish, Hunter, uh Okongwu, Kevin Herter, you know, John Collins just on a very tradable contract and still a very good player in the NBA. Yeah, I could I could see it, but at the same time I don't think Atlanta are the type of team that are going to go out looking for that because I think they probably expect a lot of internal growth. I think they should hope for a lot of internal growth. And you know, they, they, they were shown proof of concept last year. This team, as it's currently constructed, can reach the conference finals, can be competitive on the right night against the best teams. If most of our players are under 25, we should be doing that and more next year. So yeah, as much as I do see them in the sweepstakes for any major moves, I don't know if they're going to actively pursue any of them or they're going to actively look to, you know, just kick the tires on. They're going to be the one to make that phone call first. I don't know. So uh, before Brett, before I kick it over to Brett, because he, he will be able to speak to the point I'm about to make because he is a Boston Celtics fan. But... So number one, they have a lot of these young guys. Those young guys are going to have to be paid. As you said, Jacob, a lot of them are still on the rookie contracts, but they're nearing the end of the, pretty much the end of the rookie contracts. They can only pay so many guys top dollar mm -hmm. extensions. Um, but again, they have all those guys and then they still have all of the draft assets and they don't have 
as mega of a war chest as the Boston Celtics did at one point, but the Boston Celtics played the waiting game with a lot of their assets. And what did they end up getting from it? Really not a lot when you look at it in retrospect. So Atlanta, at some point, they kind of got to push the chips into the table and say, well, we don't want to end up in a similar position to how a team like Boston did, for example, where, yeah, Boston's a really good team in the Eastern Conference, but had Danny Ainge maybe made a move or two sooner and was willing to give up a little more at different points, maybe they could have been a lot better than even what they are right now. And I think that Atlanta has such a bright future if they make a move for like a Bradley Beal. I mean, then we're talking about vaulting them into the title conversation. I might actually make Atlanta the favorites if that happened, depending on how many players were in the trade, but I might make them the favorites in the Eastern Conference, even over Brooklyn, if something like that happened. But what what, what are your thoughts about some of those points, Brett, and speaking to it from, from the Boston perspective? I mean, speaking of Boston, what about Jalen Brown for John Collins? Like, I, I Jalen's from Marietta, I believe. Um, I don't know. I just think no matter who you're going after, okay, say it's Beal. I think, I think the Wizards w- would want Collins. I think that's that's how that deal would have to go down. Um, you know, I don't I don't think you could really give up any less than. John Collins. If you if you, if if you give up Collins, I'm not giving up Hunter. Then then I'm keeping DeAndre Hunter. That's how that negotiation yeah. is going to work. And I, Brad, yes. if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I might rather throw Collins in the deal than than DeAndre Hunter. Yeah, if you give yeah. me the choice. Th- yeah, that's fair. And I mean, when you're looking at the making the money work, um, you know, Collins Collins could get you pretty close. Uh, so that I mean, I think that's how it would have to look. He he just he feels a little redundant. I think in these even in this last playoff run, I think he had four or five just single digit games, maybe like a zero point game, a two point game. Like he just had games where he disappears, where he's just not involved. And um, I think that's why there was some hesitation in extending him. Uh, it's just like you know, ju- there's there's some redundancy with him and Capella. Obviously, he can do some more, but but just as far as like the the vertical spacing that he provides, like Cabe- Capella can do a lot of that. And I do think DeAndre Hunter could play some small ball four. I think Cam Reddish maybe could play some small ball four. I don't know. I but at the same time, like they're a pretty damn well constructed team when you look at their roster from top to bottom. And if they're rolling, I, you know, it's like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, but if Bradley Beal is available, if it's made clear that, that he's available in trade, I agree with you. They can offer more than just about anybody, whether that's whatever the configuration is. They've obviously got the pieces. I think they've got more good players than just about any team in the NBA. Um, it would be hard to turn that down, but I, I don't think they're going to be in a hurry to break this team up because they've got it all. They've got everything you could want on a team. You've got these two young 3 and D wings in Hunter and Reddish. I think Reddish is going to have a real nice bounce back year. You've got the bigs and Capella and Collins. You've got Trey Young. You've got Bogey. You've got Herter. You've got Gallo. You've got Lou Williams. You've got Okongwu, like the, the rookies, Cooper and, and Johnson. Like they are absolutely loaded from top to bottom. And um, I'll tell you what, we, we recorded our over-unders podcast two or three weeks ago. And I picked the under on the Hawks. I forget what the number was, but I picked the under. And no matter what it was, I already feel like an idiot for doing that uh, <laughs> because I'm, I'm increasingly optimistic about their outlook this season. So it's like, yeah, as far as the trade, I don't think they're going to be looking to make one. But if Beal is like totally available um, or, or someone like Jalen Brown, who I, I've, I've always thought that would be an interesting, um, an interesting trade for them to make as well. Uh, but um maybe maybe if maybe if the right if the right guys out there they they look to do it 
The Miami Heat are next on my list. Do the Miami Heat have enough depth to contend for the title? When we talk about depth, we brought up the concerns that we might possibly have with Milwaukee, although I think they have a very solid eight-man rotation that I think will do them well come playoff time. But I don't know if the Miami Heat even have eight guys. And everyone's wanted to vault them into the title conversation, top three team in the Eastern Conference, because they got Kyle Lowry and they stole away P.J. Tucker. But guys, so their starting lineup is fantastic, right? If everything works out. Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler, P.J. Tucker, Bam Adebayo. That's great. That's fantastic. Love it. The bench. Tyler Hero, Markeith Morris, Dwayne Dedman, Victor Oladipo, KZ Akpala, Max Struess, Omer Yurt7. Are you necessarily excited about the bench depth that I laid out? Because what if Tyler Hero doesn't take a leap forward back to what he was in the bubble again and he kind of just stays the type of player that he was last year? What if Markeith Morris just decides to brick up a lot of jump shots? What if Deadman doesn't have anything else left in the tank? What if Oladipo can't even play basketball next year because tragically he gets hurt again? Um, Casey Okpala, is he ready to step in and play playoff minutes? I don't think they want Yurt 7 necessarily playing a lot of basketball for them. Struess, is Struess going to be a, a lights-out shooter when the bright lights come on like what if we're talking about Miami really has like six six and a half guys come playoff time going up against some of these other teams in the east I'd, I I want to love the Miami Heat I don't know if that's enough to to get it done what do you think Brett it's a very fair concern their their lack of depth um I mean I'd say just like on paper like no other factors considered assuming Depot can can be healthy. It sounds good on paper yeah. when you don't want yeah. to think about anything else. Right, just look right. at the box score numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like the okay, I guess you know when yeah when you look at Deadman, uh, I guess Markeith Morris probably coming off the bench, Hero and, and Depot. It's like okay, that sounds like enough. But the thing with this team is they're old. Like Lowry's got a lot of miles on him. Like I don't know that I can count on Lowry being you know that just thirty-three minute a game starting point guard for a full season. Um, and then even some of these depth guys like P.J. Tucker and Markeith Morris are getting old. Oladipo's obviously Steve, Steve knows that P.J. Tucker might have, might as well have taken a shit at center court for the Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> in some of those playoff games. So, like, he, he knows. Like, yeah, like, they're, they're going to throw Tucker he, into the starting lineup. They're going to hope that he's good. Well, he enabled them to play some, some awesome lineups with Giannis. He but, did. but that was pretty much just, like, just by being out there. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, he didn't actually yep. contribute that much um, other than just allowing them to do that. And, you know, I guess he does give them some more versatility, and Bam's a pretty versatile dude in his own right. But, yeah, I think that's their biggest concern is their depth. Um, as far as Hero, that, that he's kind of a I, – I, I'm inclined to think he can make another big leap. That rookie class is so weird when you look at how it's gone for them. Like, I almost think – like, those guys, like MPJ and Hero, namely, that we saw in the bubble, just absolutely balling out. Like, they almost had an advantage because they were – basically second year players that were still technically rookies playing in the bubble. Like they had all that time to develop. They were a little older. Um, so I think it kind of worked in their favor there. But then I think with the quick turnaround time from the bubble, it worked against them. We didn't see the jump. Well, it certainly didn't work against MPJ, but like someone like Hero, like we didn't see the jump that we thought we might see from him. Like we didn't really see the jump even from like a John Morant that we thought we might see from him in his second season. And, uh, and, and now maybe things will have leveled out. 
for Tyler Hero. You know what I mean? I think he exceeded expectations initially and then fell a little short. And I do think that has something to do with the way the schedule has been during the pandemic. And um, I'm not ruling out a, a, a big bounce back campaign from him. And that would obviously go a long way if you have yep. a guy like that coming off your bench. He has the potential to be one of the best bench players in the NBA. I think he could be that good. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's something we'll be keeping an eye on. Um, but to answer your question, I, I'd say they're, they're a little short on depth. They, they, they could use uh, maybe another backup big. It would be nice. I don't know how much faith I have in uh, Dwayne Deadman, a.k.a. The Undertaker, Deadman. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I share that concern with, with their bench depth for sure. Yeah, I, this Miami Heat team is one of the ones where, like, you see it on paper and you think, ooh, they're going to be one of the best teams in the East this coming year. But at the same time, like you said, Nathan, they, they don't have depth. They might not even have, like, an eighth man in this team. That's how bad it is in in terms of depth and i certainly think with the age of some of these guys like carl lowry like butler's um aging into his 30s pj tucker i think there is going to be a lot of just kind of chilling in second gear in the regular season just you know make sure we don't end up in a play-in and we're good and then yeah in a playoff series i see to me i'm already a bit down on like Larry and Tucker I think they have hit the aging curve quite hard and I think with with someone like Larry you're going to notice it less because he was so good and he's still going to be good but with someone like Tucker like you said like there were entire strings of possessions last year where Tucker was basically irrelevant on the offensive end and this Heat team doesn't have a lot of spacing outside you know Duncan Robinson Tyler Hero so I am. I think it's going to be very tough. They're going to be a very tough team, but I think it's just going to be quite an, a quick out against one of the best teams in the league, like a like a Milwaukee or a Brooklyn, where you know it's like oh, he are going to beat you up, but they don't have the, the quality to be a real strong team in the playoffs. Like I say, they don't have the depth to be a real strong playoff team. Like I just, I just, I like a lot of these players. I just don't totally buy them. As anything more than that, you know, that throwback, rough and tumble playoff team for this year. It's as easy as if their starting lineup is healthy, they could mm. absolutely outperform our expectations. But if just one of those guys gets hurt, they could be like screwed, screwed. Like we're losing in the first round, screwed. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be really curious to see what happens with this team. They're going to hit the buyout market incredibly hard. Probably going to look to add maybe even two guys from the buyout market. They'll, they'll find ways creatively to create roster spots. But yeah, mm -hmm. the, the, I, I can't, I can't wait to see what this team looks like come playoff time and to see if our concerns were, were absolutely valid. So speaking of a team that we've technically already touched on the Washington wizards are the wizards better than a play-in team in the East? Are they potentially a contender for a top six seed in the Eastern Conference? And the reason why I say that, to the exact opposite of Miami, this team doesn't have as quote-unquote banging of a starting lineup, but they have <laughs> massive depth. Spencer Dinwiddie, Bradley Beal, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Ruri Hachimura, Thomas Bryant. That's what I would probably project the starting lineup to be. And then on the bench, you have Kyle Kuzma, 
uh, favorite of Bretnar's, Daniel Gafford, Davis Bertans, Denny Avdia, Montrez Harrell, Aaron Holiday, Raul, Raul Neto, Corey Kispert, Isaiah Todd. Like, holy crap. That is an entire team of rotation players. They look like the Memphis Grizzlies of the East. And the Memphis Grizzlies have been a playoff team. And why has that been? Because they have not only the depth, but they have a superstar level talent in John Morant. Well, as of right now, the Wizards have a superstar talent in the forms of Bradley Beal. So Mm -hmm. is this team A, for sure a play-in team, but B, potentially even better than that, can they snag like a sixth seed in the Eastern Conference? Jacob, why don't you go first on this one? When you first said that, I thought, oh God, Nathan's lost his mind. (laughs) Bless him, he's gone insane. But now I'm I'm listen I'm thinking you know what it's a lot of dudes it's a lot when of is, dudes yeah when is this team when are, even under like really bad injury circumstances when are they not gonna have like eight or nine good NBA players they can throw at any game even guys resting like yeah I my my only issue is just all these guys are quite good but how good are they defensively for a lot of these guys like they're a forward depth like Hachimura, Carl Kuzma, Davis Bertans, Montrez Harrell, like Thomas Bryant, those type of guys. Is there enough defense in that kind of front court depth, in that, you know, that power forward, small forward, center depth? And then the same in the backcourt, like with Beal, who, who I think everyone can everyone can see very clearly that since Beal's kind of taken over the reins and become like a 30 point per game scorer he doesn't really try that hard defensively and i don't i don't know if this if that would change if he has you know he can rein back his scoring i don't know if he wants to rein back his scoring honestly i think he kind of likes being that 30 point per game scoring title type of player for the time being i'm not sure this team has the quality to win enough games to be a top six seed but they will definitely have definitely be contending in you know every game play this year like just through the depth just through the fact that yeah we throw our second unit on on the floor and it's still like nearly as good as our first unit like I don't, but i don't know if their first unit's good enough to start with to really contend in those games so i don't know but i do i do buy kind of overarching thesis that this team can surprise people just through its depth yeah, they 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 do have a lot of solid players. When you when you look at it, when you lay it out like that, Nathan, they are pretty deep. Um, I would say that probably for the entire previous decade, that's a playoff team in the East. But I just think this once again comes down to the East being so deep, being so competitive. And it's like I think I like Charlotte better than them. Like I think I like the Bulls better than them. I think I like the Pacers better. Like I just think they're kind of that just that odd team out. Like I don't think they have quite enough. I mean, I guess I'm not sold on Bradley Beal as your best player translating to a lot of wins. I just, just the nature of his game, uh, the lack of defense that he provides, like, I don't know that, I don't want to say he's not a winning player, but if, he, if he's got that kind of usage on your team, like, I, I just don't know. I think he kind of caps your ceiling a little bit. Uh, I liked... I like the John Wall, Brad Beal teams. I liked it when he was kind of the the number two guy to John Wall. I don't know about Brad Beal as the guy, as good and as talented as he is. Um, 
I don't know. It's hard to say whether they got better or worse from last season. Obviously, Russ is gone, and they got all those the Lakers guys, a couple other guys that you mentioned. They will be getting Thomas Bryant back, and Dinwiddie's a nice piece, although he's coming off an injury. Um, I feel like they're basically about as good as they were last year, but I think the East got a little bit better. Um, not to oversimplify it, but I think they just kind of get bumped out of the picture there. And I see them as like the 10, 11, like on the lower fringe of the play-in. If if Bradley Beal is who Bradley Beal usually is, if Spencer Didweedy can come back and average 20-plus points per game, and if Contavious Caldwell-Pope can start at the three spot, provide enough defense on the wing, and hit about 36-37% from three, I think this team could shock a lot of people. I, I will just I will just leave it at that. But those are a lot of conditions to be met, even outside of some of the questionable depth mm-hmm. that Jacob laid out at times on certain certain areas of the floor. So speaking of Charlotte, Brett, I'll just kick this one to you right away since you were eager to talk about Charlotte. How big of a jump, how big of a jump can LaMelo Ball take? Will he become more than just a star in his second season? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I made a list a little while ago, actually, of, of guys that could take the, the leap to like a genuine star, like a bona fide star. I don't know if you want to call it a superstar or a high-level star, um, I think he has the potential to do that. I think he could be like the third best point guard in the East as soon as next season. I just don't see why not. He was so much more NBA ready and further along than even I, as somebody who was very high on LaMelo, uh, expected as a rookie. Uh, he's got it all. And I think Charlotte got better. He's got some great pieces around him. He's got a great coach. And he's got the keys, man. Like, he can do whatever he wants. He is um, the biggest superstar that that city has seen probably, I don't know, since who? I mean, he's a big deal there. And uh, so I think he's got got a couple things working. Like, if you're talking about stardom, he's obviously got just his – his personality, his swagger, who he is, his popularity, all that. And then he's got the on-court stuff where he is just such a dynamic player, uh, so much fun to watch. Uh, I mean, I think this is a guy that could average nine, ten assists next season. I think he could approach 20 points per game. I think he's going to continue to just improve as a shooter, going to get more confident. We're going to be seeing a lot of deep threes from him. And I think Charlotte is going to be a good team. I think they're absolutely a play-in team. Uh, if I had to pinpoint a spot for them in the East, I would probably say eight or nine. Uh, they were really good for a lot of last season. They definitely dealt with some injuries with LaMelo and Gordon Hayward getting hurt. But if they're at full strength with some of the moves they've made, I think Mason Plumley's a really nice under-the-radar pickup. I think he really fits what they can do as a big that's mobile, that can pass the ball a little bit, that can finish above the rim. I love him. Kai Jones can do a little bit of that too, the above the rim finishing. I don't know how much he's going to be playing, but I just think they have all the pieces to optimize LaMelo. Uh, I think everything they're doing is based around LaMelo from here on out, including this past offseason. And um, I think they've got a lot of trust in him, and rightfully so. And, and with all that, I think he – I'm not saying he definitely will be like an all-star even this year, or like a superstar, or a, a, a bona fide star, or however you want to call it. But he's on but your list. He's on my list of guys that could get there. Guys that, if they took a jump, they're a star. There's a couple other guys. Mm-hmm. They could even argue that his brother's in there, Lonzo. But I think LaMelo, I just think uh, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of if it happens this season 
or next season, but he's special. And, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes. I think, he, I think he can make that leap, and it might even be likely. What say you, Jacob? Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, Lamelo came out last season, and to me it was very clear that he is by far the best player in this draft. Like, on his day, some people obviously prefer Anthony Edwards or just because of injuries would have picked Anthony Edwards to be the rookie of the year. To me, Lamelo is kind of head and shoulders above them. Like, he just comes in like... Brett said, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, I was just going through the Eastern Conference. Maybe the third best point guard in the East is a bit high, but it's not outrageous to think that he could be. And at that point, like he's an all-star to me. Like he's already, like he laid out, one of the best playmakers in the league. Like he came in, like his brother, we can argue who's the better passer between him and his brother. I think I think it's probably him, honestly. But he came in shooting 35% from three. 75% from the line. You look at Lonzo, who came in at like 30% from three and like 50% from the line. Like, Lamelo already comes in with the kind of shooting base that Lonzo's taken three or four years to develop on top of being that playmaker. And if he's not as good a defender, Lamelo is still not bad defensively. Like, he's not Trey Young. Like, he is like, he could be a real positive defensive um, guard. I, I think so. I think him and his brother, they're so intelligent. They're so good at like reading the offense in front of them. I think he has so much potential on that end of the ball. Not like necessarily even all defensive potential, but just like unlike players like Trey Young and even Lucas Still and a few other of those like superstar guards like Dame, for example, where yes, they are super and over offensively, but how much are they giving up defensively? I think if Lamelo can just cut that out completely, that automatically gives him a step up on these competitors. Yeah, I think like per thirty-six minutes he averaged twenty-eight and eight last year. Like, I don't, I wouldn't be shocked if he put up something like that this mm-hmm. season for real. If he does that, as like you said, Brett, like he's a star off the court. He's maybe the most like objectively famous person that's ever stepped into the league, like as a rookie. In terms of like, he is already a celebrity off the floor before. Like he was already a millionaire. He was already like a big star among a certain generation before he stepped on the NBA floor. Obviously, not as big a prospect as someone like LeBron or Zion or anything like that. But I, I given how the All Star works, I would be shocked if he didn't make it next year. Assuming he does take the jump that he should make as like a twenty-year-old. Yeah, he could. He could get. He could get voted in. I mean, I know fans don't have total say. I guess the way they do it now, but uh, but he is wildly popular what other points so we, mm-hmm. you got trey obviously ahead of him uh kyrie mm-hmm. assuming he plays mm-hmm. which is you know we don't know and then uh, i don't know maybe maybe mm-hmm. drew but like he yeah i mean i, I don't Lane, think all-star is out of the question sense, i think yeah. that would i think if he were to make all-star that would definitely be considered um the jump to being a star like almost almost by definition mm-hmm. <laughs> i i think he is the third best point guard in the Eastern Conference, I mean, yeah, already. I don't think he needs to prove anything else. I think he actually is. Is he better than it's his weird. brother right like, now? Yes, like, yes. Is like you think? Because Lonzo's pretty damn good still. Like right now, Lonzo's pretty good. I don't. I don't, I don't consider Lonzo like a quote-unquote point guard anymore, though. He's That's gonna the be thing. this year, though. I know. I know he's technically the point guard in Chicago, like by default. 
but I think DeMar DeRozan is actually going to do a lot more with the ball in his hands than I think Lonzo will. But that that might be a different That's debate thing. For, for a different day. Lonzo's a little bit limited as a as a creator with the ball, whereas Lamelo can can certainly do more. Um, no question, Lamelo has more upside. I'm so excited for that team. I just love that team. <laughs> I love that team top to bottom. MJ, the coach, the uniforms, uh, <laughs> all their players, Bridges. Come on, scary Terry. I, lo- I love everything about that. The team. draft picks, so fun to watch. James Booknight, Kai Jones, JT yeah. Thor. If any of that, yeah, yup, yup. They're they're a fun team, man. They're they're another league pass darling, uh, no doubt about it. I think they're going to be pretty good. I think they're going to be at least a 500 team this year. And last but not well, last. Okay, no, no, they are least. They're absolutely least. They're, the, Orla- <laughs> the Orlando Magic. Uh, God, huh. what 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 the what the hell is this starting lineup? What the hell is the starting lineup <laughs> opening night? Because I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, Fultz and Isaac are not playing to start the no. year, correct? I don't, I don't believe no. so. So, it's, so yeah. it's Jalen Suggs, Gary Harris, Terrence Ross, Chumu Kiki, and Wendell Carter is probably your starting mm-hmm. lineup. I think that sounds correct. And then you have, then you have Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Franz Wagner, Mo Bamba, Robin Lopez, and Mo Wagner, that is a dumpster fire mm-hmm. of a team. Like, <laughs> do, 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 we, do we have to say much about the Orlando Magic? Like, I don't know what else positive there, there is to say at this point. Like, Jalen Suggs is awesome. Jalen Suggs is going to make people flip on league pass. Um, RJ Hampton can be an exciting player. We know how I have felt about Cole Anthony in the past. I still technically have hope for him, although... His summer league performance made me absolutely give him the stern talking to on this very <laughs> podcast during my 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 twenty twenty tears revisit. Oh, I bro- broke my um, heart, Nathan. It broke my I, heart, but, but I'm I'm with you. I had to do it. I had you you know, Brett. I had to be the stern parent. I had to give him the talking to. <laughs> um, and yeah, Fultz and Isaac don't come back, or hell, if did I mean God? Is it is it out of the realm of possibility one or both of them are even like traded this year? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what happens with this. I would assume Gary Harris gets moved at some point and maybe Terrence Ross. I think those are the two that I would definitely not, maybe not Sharpie them in, but I might even be comfortable enough to pen both of those guys in as they're going to be traded at some point this year. And then what really, after those two, what really do you have? Like, God, are they going to win like less than 15 Mm. games? I have no idea. I think you have one of the worst teams in NBA history is what you have. I mean, really, like record-wise, I don't, I don't know. Could they could be like a 12, 13 win team? I mean, I just, I don't see any way around it. They're going to be atrocious. Um, yeah, <laughs> who knows? So many questions again. Mainly the guard rotation, uh, what that looks like if and when Fultz comes back. What's Fultz even going to look like? It sucks that he got hurt when he did because he was really starting to come into his own, really starting to look like a good NBA player. Um, that that's that's absolutely a bummer. But yeah, I think uh, I think they're going to suck. Uh, that's my, that's my deep insight into this team. One thing I will will say though, is, is to keep an eye on Mo Bamba. I think people have kind of given up on Mo. Uh, he actually had a really strong stretch at the end of last season or really post trade deadline. Uh, after they moved on from, from Vucevic, he put up some really encouraging numbers. His per 36 numbers were great last year. And a lot of times that, uh, you know, it's like that year three is, is, is a make or break year. I think we give him a little bit of a pass. He had bad COVID. Like he he couldn't even participate in, tra- in training camp. I don't think he was there for the start of the season. Uh, he, he had some real uh, long lingering effects from that COVID with his lungs, uh, with his conditioning. So 
I kind of give him a pass for most of last year, especially considering the, the flashes he showed at the end of the year. So he's going to be kind of a fun guy to keep an eye on this year. And if, yeah, if it doesn't come together for Mo this year, um, you know, maybe, maybe we do start to give up on him, but, but I keep an eye on him and I think he could have a pretty big role. It's not like, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. and Mo Wagner are, are all that as, as center. So, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's what it's about though with this team, man, is, is watching these young guys develop. RJ Hampton apparently is six foot six now saying he's going to play some small forward. Seems very confident in that, uh, so one of these guys is probably going to break out, whether it's Tuma or it's RJ or it's one of the guards or, or maybe even a guy like Mo Bamba that's like, whoa, like there he is. Um, it, I think it's going to happen with one of these guys. It's just a matter of who. And, uh, and they're going to try all kinds of different configurations, all kinds of lineups, all kinds of rotations, and just, um, just kind of see what they have going forward. I'm sure they'll make a trade. Gary Harris probably is that guy just because – is he on an expiring this year? I know he makes quite a bit of money. I, I, I'm not sure if it's expiring this year or next. But well, isn't, isn't, isn't Terrence Ross on an expiring? Yeah, I believe so. And obviously those guys aren't going to be part of their long-term plans. Although I think Ross is one of the more underrated players in the league uh, as a guy that – Gary Harris is on an expiring contract, Brett. You are correct. Yeah, so you probably you, you probably move him. Uh, but hey, man, mm-hmm. I'm like looking for something to say about this. And and to, and no, Terrence Ross is not on okay. an expiring at all. I think he'll have one year left after this. But either, I, I I think either I would expect both of those guys to be gone. To be honest, I don't I don't think either of them are going to be there after the trade deadline. But um, Jacob, do you have any kind poetics to wax for us before we end this podcast? Because I feel like we can't end this on a complete sour note. You have anything kind to say about the Orlando Magic? Uh, Orlando, there'll be a real uplifting moment two years from now, opening day for the Orlando Magic, where we look at look down their bench and we see just how few guys are left from <laughs> the twenty from the team. And I think we'll be like, damn, look how far we came. Remember that score we had in twenty twenty two? And I think that'll be a real up lifting moment and i look forward to that to be honest more than anything i, I think they've got you know a couple of these guys they have about 10 throwaway players like you know wendell carter jr like markel fultz rj hampton all these guys like and then their own draft picks as well i think they had a good draft this year honestly with Suggs and franz wagner i'd i think a few of these guys like you know there's 10 of them Three of them are going to be pretty good NBA players as long as the Magic don't fuck it up. So, like, you know, it, they should have some depth in a few years. It just might be rough for now. Suggs yeah, is they're... the only guy I have confidence in. Like, absolute, <laughs> absolute confidence in. Like, he is not going to mess this up. Because the other guys, either they've really come down from my expectations of them or they're just hurt all the time. So, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. guys. I'll tell you know what one positive thing though also is is Jamal Mosley. I like the hire a lot. Yes, uh, he he comes in very highly regarded. He's been an assistant coach forever. Like we talk about Udoka being kind of long overdue for uh, for for getting a head coaching job. Jamal Mosley's also in that conversation. I think he's been an assistant for like 14, 15 years anyway. He's been under Rick Carlisle uh, the last few years. He was actually the guy I wanted to see Portland hire as head coach. And I think the Magic are very fortunate to have him. And look, man, I mean, he's starting from the bottom. I think sometimes that's the best way to do it. When you bring in a new coach who you plan on having there for a long time, um, you know, you, you sort of start from scratch. And I think this is what 
starting from scratch looks like in the NBA. And it's going to be a, a rough year if you're hoping to see some wins from this team, but the future is definitely bright. Shout, yeah, shout out to Mr. Mosley. First of all, I just, I love seeing more diversity in the coaching ranks period in the NBA, but I also like to see guys who have earned the, paid their dues, finally get their chance to get up on the big stage a little bit and, and, and get a head coaching job. So absolutely for both of those reasons, I agree, Brett. Major props to, to Coach Mosley. But with that being said, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. We will have part two, Western Conference, coming out fairly shortly after we release this podcast. So definitely stay tuned, but continue to follow us on social media at Draft Deeper. Make sure to have this podcast in your regular rotation. Have it subscribed wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Subscribe to the Overstated NBA show. Pretty please subscribe to that podcast over there. Listen to these guys every week. They do incredible, fantastic work. I'm so honored to have them on wherever I can um, and, and do a lot more work with them. Follow them. They are on Twitter. I believe it's at the Overstated on Twitter, correct? Correct. Uh, yeah. And then, Brett, give your, give your Twitter handle since you've become an incredibly awesome follow on Twitter yourself. Uh, my, my name is Hooperbole on, on Twitter. It's like hyperbole, but H-O-O-P-E-R-B-O-L-E. Yeah, I think I spelled that right. Uh, so yeah, give me a follow <laughs> and, and definitely follow us uh, the, at The Overstated. We're kind of new to Twitter. We're very new to Twitter, and we're trying to uh, build a little bit of a presence there, and we're going to be sharing some cool stuff for sure. And, uh, yeah, appreciate mm -hmm. everybody uh, that, that subscribed to our podcast. And, uh, Nathan, thank you so much for having us on, man. It's always always an honor, man. Like I always say, you're, you're one of the best in the business. I love all the work you do. And we always have a lot of fun when we get together for these podcasts. So Don't, don't thank me yet. Time. We got to record part two. You might be sick of me by the time <laughs> we get through part two. But J Jacob, are you going to get a Twitter? Are you going to get your own Twitter? I, I probably should, but I'm... Like I, I'm, I'm very bad with all technology. Like you should, you should see like our, our like group chat. Brett's been like, oh shit, I just figured out like <laughs> how to retweet something. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even know what you click. Like I don't know how to like make make chains on Twitter of like comment threads. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. I will try. I will try to be less of an old man. No uh, one's worse with technology than I am, so you have absolutely no excuse. Get on the Twitter, Jacob. I want to see you over there. Everybody out there listening to this podcast, thank you so much again for tuning in. Tune into Part 2 Western Conference. And in the meantime, have a wonderful rest of your week.